since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Monday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm joined on the show today by Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry. Good to have Brant back after a week hiatus. Uh, and uh, we are excited to have another live edition of Sports Call today. First one of the week, obviously. We'll be previewing, or excuse me, recapping the Super Bowl from Sunday between Kansas City and Philadelphia. Also recapping the Auburn and Alabama game inside of Neville Arena. Starting to turn the attention ahead to what's next for the Tigers, which is another group of Tigers in the form of Missouri. That one coming up tomorrow night. And a lot to talk about in the sports world. It's also game week for Auburn baseball. And we will have Kevin Ives on uh, Plainsman parking lot at 4 o'clock. And uh, he will start to preview this Auburn baseball season for us as we had Auburn softball begin this past weekend. Uh, they had a four-in-one trip in Clearwater. And uh, so a lot going on right now in the sports world. And again, first of just four shows this week again throughout the month of February because of Auburn softball. We will only have four shows a week and we'll not have uh, Friday shows. So uh, good to be with you again. Again, Ryan, Tom, and Brant. We'll start with Brant today, Brant. Brent, good to have you back, sir. Glad you're back on the program. Glad to be back, man. I, I tell you what, that 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 Omicron variant doesn't screw around. <laughs> that's, that's some some nasty stuff. But uh, yeah, glad to be back. Glad I'm back healthy again, and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, I, this week of the past couple of Auburn basketball games have not gone to plan. I think you could say, and um, yeah, it's just not just not been going great. You, you've you've lost three I think three or four games in a row by a combined 14-15 points and so you're playing well uh, you're just not finishing games out and, and that's really what you need at this point and you, you've got to start finishing these games even though they're against really really good teams but uh, you know the Super Bowl was awesome for three quarters and 14 minutes and 30 seconds I think I, I, that was you, you had a chance we the focus of the day will probably be on officiating, and that's something that nobody wants. But uh, what it should be on is how great both quarterbacks were, how awesome that game was up until that point. Um, Patrick Mahomes has proven that I think that he's the best wi- uh, wide receiver quarterback in the NFL um, as of right now. Uh, I don't think there's anybody who can really step up and challenge what he has done to this point in his career. To, <laughs> he is our, he's been a starter for five years. He has two Lombardi trophies, two Super Bowl MVPs, two MVPs uh, of, uh, of the league, and has already led the league in yards and touchdowns twice. Uh, it has been a five, has been an all star all five years. He's just an incredible talent, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about him moving forward. And uh, congratulations to the Chiefs, man! That was a whale of a football game. 
And then Tom Peavy also on the show today. Tom, well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. A uh, little sleepy at the moment, but I uh, had some trouble going to sleep last night. But got just a little wound bit. up from the Super Bowl. No, not that. Just I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I, it was just one of those nights I had, had trouble getting to sleep, but uh, powering through it today. But yeah, a lot of talk. A lot to talk about. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the Auburn basketball game against Alabama. Uh, didn't come out good for Auburn on that one, uh, and there's a lot of reasons why that we can discuss. Super Bowl. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a. It was a fun game, like y'all said. Uh, I'm I'm one of those I still enjoyed it down to the end just because of the chess match that was going on with the guy sliding to not go into the end zone too soon. Uh, of course, everybody's going to talk about the holding penalty that was called, but uh, overall, just a you know, big sports weekend and a lot to discuss. Yeah, and also we want to uh, point out before we get going here with some Super Bowl and Auburn, Alabama talk that uh, we will be ending the show promptly about 5.45 today. Not really early for us, but uh, making sure we get off the air in a timely manner at the end because uh, Beauregard High School girls basketball coming up at 6 o'clock on our airwaves. They are now in the state tournament. They host a a state playoff game tonight. Tim Sin and the guys will have that one uh, from Beauregard, and so we're really excited about that opportunity opportunity for the Borgar Lady Hornets to try and advance through uh, this these basketball playoffs. So that's coming up right after our show today. I want to give them some love uh, for sure. Uh, let's uh, let's start by talking. Let's go reverse chronological order. So let's go uh, with what happened last night yeah. uh, with the Super Bowl and the big game. Uh, Kansas City and the Eagles playing a 38-35 to game, pretty high or very high scoring for an NFL team. I mean, even Kansas City, who led the league in points this year, averaged about 28 or 29 a game. So it's still a high-scoring game. I think a lot of people thought it would be high-scoring. I necessarily did not think it would get into the high 30s, but I definitely could, could see why it would become high-scoring. Uh, officiating aside, which I thought was great for 58 minutes and 30 seconds, by the way, before we get to that call, but before we talk anything related to that, uh, break down what happened last night, guys. Why were the why was this a high scoring game, and then what ultimately did you feel was the difference in the game? Uh, well, I mean, I I, I thought it was going to be a shootout after those first two drives, and I was yeah. like, oh boy, here, yeah. buckle up, fellas. It's like here we go. Um, but uh, you know, I, well, the Eagles found success with Jalen Hurts doing what Jalen Hurts has been doing all year long, and he's got great talent around him. And that's great. However, uh, the, the biggest key to the game, I think, twofold uh, for Kansas City. A, their offensive line did a phenomenal job yes. last night because that was one of the best defenses in the league that they were playing. And it is a defensive front that has harassed quarterbacks all year long. And they protected Patrick Mahomes amazingly. Now, Mahomes got himself out of some weeds every time, uh, you know, every now and then. But for the most part, they really held them at bay. And I like that. Second part. Part of the reason of that success is some of the play calling that Andy Reid and that, that group put together. The the um, the wide receiver coming in motion, stopping, and then reversing and kicking back out the direction that he came from was open all dame uh, dame game all damn game all damn game <laughs> dame uh, that was open all game. 
And so when you're facing a front that that has that ability to get back there and get on him, you get the ball out quick, and that's what they were doing. And and those little quick hitters, those little flare passes out to the to the edges, just seemed to work all game long. And then that opened up the other stuff. So. Yeah, kudos to that offensive line for for the protection they had, and then of course Mahomes is just Patrick Mahomes. He's he's the MVP for a reason, and uh, yeah, that that was that's ultimately I I think that's ultimately what it was is that that offensive line preventing the Eagles from from kind of exerting their force on them, and then Andy Reid with some of the play calls that just kind of neutralized what Philly's defense was trying to get done. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the offensive lines for both teams were just incredible. Uh, And they've been pretty good all year. But not giving up any sacks, giving up only a couple of pressures to to the Phillies, to the Phillies, to Philadelphia's. Mean you both to, to yeah, defensive I, line. I, I still I'll got. I still got the. Uh, I still got the brain. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the COVID fog. Uh, but um. <laughs> you still have a brain, yes. I st- I st- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue. It's been it's been like a Pass week. Rush. It's been like a week since I've said more than five words in one uh-huh. day. Um, <laughs> I, I think holding up against that pass rush is incredibly impressive and the Eagles offensive line has been the best in the league all year long and um, there was one one of Jalen Hurts' rushing touchdowns they had Jason Kelsey pull from that center position and kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage and Jalen Hurts went right underneath him that was one of the most beautifully blocked plays I've ever seen and and to have an offensive line that can get out and block guys the way that the Eagles can it's just really fun if you're a trenches guy was that game last night and I, I really, really enjoyed watching it. And like like Tom said, the uh, the play calling from Andy Reid to get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands quickly. To I mean, I, I don't think they attempted a ball that was more than 20 yards in the air more than two or three times the entire game. They didn't try a lot of deep shots. Philly tried a couple, uh, but uh, the, the Chiefs were very quick with it. And I think that that uh, was to their benefit. And you've got great players all over that field. It was a fantastic football game between two really good teams. And and that's what the Super Bowl should be. I'm also going to say another thing that was also key. I don't know what kind of Mr. Miyagi magic they have as a trainer over there on the sideline, but I thought Mahomes was done. (laughs) I I thought Mahomes was done. It's called Toradol, and you probably can't get a hold of it. Well, uh you know, watching him uh, I, at first when the, when he got twisted up like that and got tackled, I wasn't sure that he was going to get up. And then he got up, and obviously it, that was not good. And the grimaces and the hobbling off the field, and then they showed him sitting on the bench, and his head just kind of co- collapses his head into the the shoulder of the trainer. And I'm like, oh, man, he's done. I was like, he may have broken his ankle right there, or, or at least – uh, really exacerated that that injury that was already there, but that just did not look good. And then all of a sudden they go to halftime and he's jogging to the locker room like nothing happened. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. And then second half, he looked like he was more healthy than he was in the first half. So, uh, I mean, yeah, MVP to the MVP to. Uh, you know, the offensive line and all that, but like I said, who whoever has the magic potion over there on the side that fixed that ankle, goodness gracious. Yeah, I, though I was not as worried about his, his injury because I saw the original in, injury um, a couple weeks before, uh, what was that, the, the Jacksonville game? Yeah, I think so. And I saw how he reacted then versus how he reacted last night. 
and it was still worse when it originally happened a couple few weeks back. Um, he clearly was not uh, too hampered by it in the second half. Maybe that was a little surprising, but when he went down, I, I've seen him play the last two games, and so I, the, the thought, I, honestly, uh, the thought never crossed my mind that he was going to end up leaving that game because he, right. he just he's played through it, and uh, the hit was not uh, as bad as the original hit that got him the high ankle sprain in the first place. It's still incredible what he did with it, but his pain tolerance is obviously pretty high, and uh, they did did work some magic, but uh, I. You, it, for the Super Bowl, you have to be so banged up to not play, and especially a position that important. We know Mahomes is a gamer, and it's going to take a lot to get him out of there. I, I think that a lot of things are true about the offensive performance here of Kansas City and focusing on the winning team first here. They ran great stuff, as you said, Tom. I mean, they ran the same play for two different for two different touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, their stuff that they ran was wide open all night. Their blocking scheme was solid. Uh, Pacheco ran hard. He had over five yards of carry. The team as a whole had over six yards of carry. I think the disappointment should lay on the Philadelphia defense though because it was so easy for Kansas City. The very first throw of the game that Mahomes made, it was a crosser to Kelsey for about 20 yards left sideline, kind of threw a tight window throw, kind of threw him open. That was the most contested throw of the night. Yeah, That was the toughest throw, and it was a tough throw, but that was the toughest throw Mahomes had to make all night. I mean, when they played zone, Kelsey wide open over the middle. When they played man, they would literally just get their assignments flat out wrong and someone would be wide open in the flat for those touchdowns like Sky Moore, like Kadarius Toney. The Eagles' defense was bad, and there's a lot of reasons why Mahomes is great, the Kansas City coaching staff is great, but – the Eagles, you, you can also, it's not all about offense. I do think it's the most important part of football these days. But the Eagles' defense made zero plays, and they were not in the right spots half the time. Right. Again, the the amount of ease that Kansas City did this to, I mean, again, it's I'm not, you got to balance it out here. But I do want to mention that some of this is Eagles' incompetence defensively for what should have been the best or second or third best defensive unit. As we talked about, no pass rush. Uh, great job by the Chiefs' offensive line, but you got 75 sacks this year. You can't pressure more than twice the whole game. Like that, that, that part of it was rough. Again, the wide open receivers. Mahomes, I mean, I guess Philadelphia took away the deep ball. Mahomes had 21 completions for 182 yards. Usually that's nothing, nothing right. to write home about. But they, again, it was with great ease that, that, that Kansas City was able to operate. They didn't make Mahomes uncomfortable, other than that one scramble that made his ankle uncomfortable. They didn't make him uncomfortable. They didn't really cover anybody. Uh, they didn't stop the run game. They got no pass rush. They did nothing well no. defensively. And again, I'm not trying to one-side it, but so much of the sentiment is about Mahomes' greatness and all that. There is a flip side to it, and the best defense in the NFL didn't do anything well. No. And in the Meantime, the KC defense gets a touchdown and looked like they even had another one that got overturned. But uh, you know they get a, a they get a defensive touchdown off of pressure on Hertz. And now, granted, he knocks the ball out of his own hands, right? Which but it's still gonna be know, a TFL on a third and six, sure, I, yeah. absolutely. But I mean, he does that because they are back there on him and pressuring him, and he drops the ball, and you get a scoop and score. And then later on in the game, you had another one that looked like it might be a, a, a touchdown for him because of just good defensive play, uh, and, you know, on a solid open field tackle. 
But um, so yeah, I mean, we're we're whereas the the Eagles' defense did not come to the show. Casey's defense at least they made some enough. plays. They yeah. did enough. Mm-hmm. Um, now they they got made to look foolish, especially on a couple of those really sure. deep passes. Um, but but for the most part throughout the game, they did enough. They they did enough to to kind of keep things uh, in striking distance for Mahomes. And then once they kind of got that offense rolling in the second half, the defense was still able to kind of keep enough in front of them. Well, because of what you just mentioned, that's the difference for me and why I can say the Eagles were flat out bad defensively, that it was not just good offense. It was also incompetence by Philadelphia's game planning and by right. their players because I'll tell you, even a couple of the big plays that Philadelphia made, Kansas City was in the right spots. Like that deep ball to A.J. Brown, they had the proper coverage. It was there. The guy got lost and turned around yeah. while A.J. Brown kept his eye on the ball the whole time. Right. That's just an execution part of it, but they were there. When they tried that exact same play a couple drives later, it was almost, it was intercepted, almost intercepted because yeah. the double coverage was perfect instead of just good that time. So at least Kansas City at times was in the right spot. They obviously made the the, the scoop and score play. At least they were functionally, functionally okay despite Philadelphia being able to have a methodical approach and, and still ultimately score a lot points that for me is the difference in saying all right kansas city at least was prepared and a good offense got you know gave them problems versus philadelphia's defense not only a lot of problems were given to them by kansas city they also were not prepared for what they were about to see yeah i agree i mean i I don't (laughs) i don't know if i can add to that i think y'all hit the nail on the head i think the the fact is philly's and and part of what kansas city's offense does is make the defense get lost. That is that is part of what Andy Reid has designed that offense to do, and it worked to perfection. And like you said, the defense just made mistakes. They were forced mistakes, but they were mistakes nonetheless that should have been avoided. Need to take our first time out in just a moment, and I'm still going to stay away from the officiating part. That will that will come later in the program today. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about this from Philadelphia's perspective, though. Uh, Jalen Hurts, he was the runner-up for the MVP uh, in the NFL this year. Uh, he was the, by de facto the runner-up for MVP in this game. But he played very well. He had the oh, yeah. one mistake with the fumble, which, I mean, in a three-point game, ends up being a very pivotal mistake, although they rebounded very well. He was unfazed the rest of the way. Right. He throws for 304 in this game. He runs for 70 yards. He runs for three touchdowns. I'm not going to say he was better than Mahomes because Mahomes did absolutely nothing wrong. He played almost a, a perfect second half, literally through one incompletion. It was a throwaway. So I can't say that he played better than Mahomes, but he certainly played on the same level as Mahomes. Absolutely. And this was a high-quality offensive attack from Philly. I believe their offensive coordinator, I forget his name, is going to be on his way to Indianapolis in the coming days. I think he's going to be the Colts' next head coach. They ran some great stuff, and they did a really good job. And why Mahomes' numbers are a little lower than what you would expect and just Kansas City's in general is because Philadelphia kept the ball a lot in that game. They had some very long sustained drives that to me was again really good game planning and Kansas City 
you know, that's the victim of a great offense beating you in that situation. But Kansas City still worked through it, made a few key defensive players. But again, I got to give a lot of credit to, because again, we talked about the winners first. You got to give a lot of credit to to Jalen Hurts because in no way did they lose that game. I know the fumble happened, but they did not lose that game because of him. He was excellent. He was as advertised. And in theory, he was not playing at 100% either because of the shoulder injury sustained at the end of the regular season that they that, that they claim has lingered but he was a willing runner they did that QB sneak thing like five times which was comical how they just shove him for three yards they no are, matter where Chris Jones was on top of him or anything it was it was really good they, they have used the QB sneak to incredible effectiveness now that you can legitimately push from right. behind it's not just the quarterback under his own power but uh, you, you you line up behind Jason Kelsey and just say, hey, man, grab grass, and <laughs> we're going to push from behind, and we can get a yard. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, I, I've, how many times did we say it, it, watching games this year, if you've got, if you've got a yard or less, then there's no reason to not sneak it at this no. point, especially if you've got a quarterback that is able and willing. It's a, what they say hurts was 32 of 37 or something like that this year, plus the f- four or five he added. It's about a ninety percent play yeah. when you when you bring someone behind to help push. There's not many things in sports, and certainly not in football, that are ninety percent. So I highly advise you if you've got a ninety percent effective rate yeah. there on a fourth and one, third and one sneak, I advise you to do that from yeah. now on. If, if you've take, got if you've got third and one, sneak it twice. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you're, they're you're not, not going to stop it twice. You, you don't need Lane Kiffin's analytics book to figure that one out. Uh, I was watching the fourth quarter with with uh, with JJ, and when they scored uh, to make it thirty five thirty three, and we're about to go for two. The sneak was so good, he asked, should they just sneak, yeah, sneak, sneak it, from, sneak the it two? from the two? Because they had gotten over that yard they needed every single time. Yeah. Obviously, they, they did run Hurts, but just in a different capacity. Uh, but again, really good stuff from Philly's offense. And this brings me to the overall point here. Of This was such a high-quality game. And again, I'm staying away from the other elephant in the room, or the zebra in the room. We'll talk about that, that yeah. later. But this was such a high quality game and just as a neutral observer yes i've found a way to have a preference at some point of who i was rooting for but just from a pretty neutral standpoint uh this was the game that everybody hoped for that we all wanted there was two different conference championship games two weekends ago there was the really competitive and fun kansas city cincinnati game okay had a little controversy at the end sure this one did too but it was a really good game or you had the quarterback gets injury injured in Brock Purdy, and you have the San Francisco and Philadelphia game where you're just kind of waiting for it to end. There's really no path. And fortunately, we got uh, the version kind of like Kansas City and Cincinnati, but even a higher, more uh, higher quality, higher scoring game where uh, we had a lot of fun in a high scoring Super Bowl 57 that goes towards the Kansas City Chiefs 38. To 35. Got to take our first break of the show. A lot more to talk about. Uh, We will have some other aspects of this game to mention. Also talk Auburn and Alabama. And again, Kevin Ives coming up at 4 o'clock to preview Auburn baseball. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this timeout.
want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Follow SportsCall on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here. Beautiful day outside and a beautiful day inside as we talk everything in the wide world of sports. And uh, just got done with the Super Bowl. From Super Bowl to the Iron Bowl of basketball, we got to talk a little bit about what happened Saturday inside of Neville Arena. It was a very competitive game. Even an eight-point margin is a little bit misleading for what it was as Alabama defeats Auburn 77-69, to a game that was very close really up until the last 90 seconds or so. Yeah. Uh, but the Crimson Tide do pull through. It was even at the half. Auburn led a good bit of this game, 20-something minutes it felt like uh, in the aggregate between first and second half. But ultimately, Alabama proving their medal. They are now the number one team in the country as of the latest AP poll. Uh, break this one down for us, starting with you, Tom, of what you saw in Neville Arena Saturday. Uh, the biggest thing is Auburn just could not finish. Uh, and that was the deciding factor of that game because Auburn, like you mentioned, led a lot of this game. You had the crowd into it. Uh, Neville Arena was was super loud. Uh, I, I, I mean, it was there. It, it was there for the taking. But down the stretch, Auburn goes, I think, one of ten. Uh, and and I think one of those was the last the the last bucket. So what were they oh for uh, down the stretch until they hit one there at the end? But I mean like one for ten from the field down the stretch. In the meantime, Alabama was a like six for nine or something like that. Um, and, and that was the deciding factor. Auburn right there in the most crucial part of the game as you got late. Auburn went ice cold and Bama started hitting the shots. Uh, that was the big deciding factor. The other deciding factor of the game was the was Alabama's ability to score on the inside seemingly at will. Um, Auburn just did not have an answer there, and Janai Broom just had a really bad game, and, and you, you can't have that from him. Um, we've seen it happen in another loss where Janai didn't have a good game. You know, anytime that Janai uh, uh, is held to eight points, he's 311 from the field, uh, held to just eight points and nine rebounds. This is a guy that is, you know, a double-double machine, and all of a sudden he, he doesn't even hit double figures in either of the key things that you need out of him. And and in the turn, you look at that, Bama with 44 points in the paint, Auburn with 20 points in the paint. So there's your big difference right there because Bama did not shoot the three ball at all. Uh, very, I mean, 6 of 21, and uh, Brandon Miller, who we've all just – everybody has raved about, was, was 0 for 7. So, you know, Auburn did everything that they needed to do to win that game except for down the stretch. And then, of course, Janai just didn't have a good game, and that ultimately ended up being the, the difference there. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty telling. I think Alabama was – part of the reason Alabama was able to score at will in, in the paint was Auburn put Janai Broom on an island said, we're going to guard the three-point line, not let them beat us from three, and we're going to leave Janai Broom on an island in the paint. And Janai just – I mean, he, he did okay, but he didn't do as well as he as Auburn needed him to. Uh, and you can see by the, the amount of paint points that Alabama had in this one. Uh, and 
I mean, you touched on Brandon Miller. They did an incredible job on Brandon Miller. Him and Alan Flanagan going back and forth all game was an incredible matchup to watch. But holding him to 10 points overall and 0 0 for 7 from 3, I mean, that's good enough to win. Uh, How many points? 13. 13. 13. Still, that's not a ton. That's well below below his average. He was 5 of 12 from the field. He was 3 for 4 from the line. And so that, you know, but yeah, 0 for 7. This is a guy that's like a surefire lottery pick. Yeah. And Auburn held him in check. The one, the one guy that you were hoping was not going to go off for like a forty burger. Yeah. On him, you hold the guy to you, only thirteen. Yeah, holding holding that guy to thirteen points is good enough to win. Uh, you, I don't know, but you're you're right. You went ice cold down the stretch. It seems like nobody could hit a big shot except for Wendell Green. And I mean, at the end, he was less than perfect. Uh, because everybody was. It seems like at the end you just kind of ran out of gas, and Alabama was able to take it. And uh, yeah, a disappointing end to that one. Um, the refs were bad, but they were bad for both teams, so I'm not going to place blame squarely on them, even though they did get more involved in the second half, I think. Uh, but again, they did, Auburn didn't lose that game because of bad officiating. It, it was you, you went ice cold, and Alabama started hitting their hit their shots in the final 90 seconds uh, to pull away. Yeah, no, Auburn Auburn ultimately 22 of 26 from the foul line. Excellent free throw shooting. The Bama's 13 of 23. So Auburn, a couple more foul shots there and we're way better at it, uh, which has not been the case. Previewing the game on Thursday, Brooks and I went over a couple of the key numbers that Alabama did really well that Auburn was not as airtight on. Those were three-point shooting and rebounding. Alabama went 6 of 21 from three. Auburn went 7 of 24. That's a wash. Alabama rebounded the basketball, had 34 rebounds, six of them offensive. Auburn had 36 rebounds, 16 of them offensive. Auburn actually out-rebounded Alabama. We felt that those were two big numbers that Auburn did not necessarily have to win, but they had to break even at or or get it as close to even as possible because Alabama was uh, one of the nation's leaders in in three-point attempts. They were top 20 in the nation in rebounding margin and offensive rebounding. And Alabama got out-rebounded and only had six offensive rebounds. Those things Auburn did very well uh, against Alabama, but it was particularly two-point shooting. And Bruce Pearl said it in the post game. He, he talked about this at length. That was the game plan. They were going to make Alabama beat them from two. They were not going to give them the three pointers. They were going to be aggressive out in the perimeter. And they did a very good job of executing that part of it. They just could not give up that amount of precision from Bama inside the two the way that they did because Alabama was ultimately 23 of 28 from two. Yeah. I mean, that is... And and to to be fair to Auburn, not all of those were easy. Bama hit some really, really tough shots in that game. They did. They did. They but did. But they also had a lot of uncontested. They did. They had what eight or nine dunks, uh, and then many more just layups that sure. were just you know just kind of there. Just when you're 23 or 28, you're going to do a little bit of all of it. Some you're going to get a few more easy looks, and you're going to make a few tough ones too. Uh, but that part of it was the defensive side where. Look, you still held Alabama below their season average. You did a really good job from three. You outshot them from the foul line. You out-rebounded them. Auburn did so many good things, and that is what it took to have a chance at the end. But at the end, when it comes down to it, the reason Auburn has not been able to capitalize, they've not been able to win these close games in the end, is they just, when it counts, they don't hit shots. 
and that has plagued them many times. Obviously, in the Tennessee game, they didn't hit shots for 40 minutes, but no one did. Uh, they had opportunity to match, even though I don't put it as the biggest reason they lost in the A&M game. They had opportunities to score just like A&M did in the end. They, they got a three off and airballed it and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then here... They had a, a, a one-point lead, I think, with five and a half minutes left, something like that. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Tom, one of their last ten-ish, something in there. And at the end of the day, it's so simple. And we can we can break it down all we want, but it will always go back to you've got to hit shots at the end of the day. And Auburn had, I thought, a good quality look. Did they take a couple bad shots throughout the course of the game? Of course. There's a couple Allen Flanagan shots that were just not smart. Uh, there was one or two Wendell Green Jr. shots, which there always are, which were not smart. One he tried to take with, like, off balance in transition, kind of guarded in the corner. That was like, what What in the – there's no reason to do that. Whatever. That That's not a huge debilitating factor for them. They got plenty of quality shots. Uh, by the course of the game and late in the game especially got offensive rebounds that turned into wide open threes that they missed and ultimately I mean 32% from the field and and look Alabama's got a great defense that's that's not that's not everything though and same thing with the Tennessee game Auburn got the looks they wanted to get and even late in the game and they've just not made them. They whether they've been outside, inside. Talked about the Tennessee game where they only shot like low thirty percent from two. Uh, this game for Auburn, they were thirteen of thirty-eight from two. That's essentially thirty-three percent. That's not good either from two. You know, it wasn't just three-point shooting. It was a little bit of everything that they just don't make enough of. And, and that has continued to kill them here late in games when they've either needed to match a high-scoring team or they've needed to grind out a couple buckets in a lower-scoring game. Here's a very telling stat from our buddy Justin Ferguson uh, that he posted right after that game. Uh, in the final five minutes of its three straight losses, Auburn has shot 9 of 28 from the field. So that's right under 33%. 32, 32.1%. Yeah. So in the final five minutes of the three straight losses, nine of 28. Yeah. And, I mean, and that and that simply is the lack of a go-to score. Sure. Because the defense gets a little better at the end of the game. gets a little more intense. Things are, are in a close game are going to be a little more physical. They're going to be a little more intentional. Uh, the focus is going to be there. And – when you don't have someone that you just know can make tough shots on a semi-consistent basis, then that's what's going to happen because it's not enough at the collegiate level to just be content with four or five guys that are are decent, four or five guys that are are capable uh, of scoring 10, 12 points. You know, that's not enough. And even in the NBA, I would tell you, the best teams still have a guy or two at the end of the game that can go make a shot. They can make incredibly tough shots. Uh, they're stars, and they just get that done. And Auburn had that last year, obviously. And and to be fair, most colleges are not going to have what Auburn had last year with Jabari Smith, which, by the way, ultimately still did not result in them having postseason success. 
But Auburn had one of the best guys you can have last year in scoring late and scoring through tough shots and making tough jump shots and this, that, and the other thing. And so to go from that to this, it becomes maybe even more apparent than it should be that they just don't have a guy. And, no. and, and look, that's not saying they don't have a couple good players. Wendell Green Jr. is a good player. Janai Broom's a good player. Jalen Williams is a very efficient player, which Auburn needs more efficiency out of several more guys. But I don't trust any of those guys to make the tough shot. Maybe Wendell Green Jr. can make a late shot if it's open. You know, Maybe Janai Broom can get a putback late. Maybe Jalen Williams can hit a three. But they can't do it consistently. They can't do it through con- uh, through hotly contested shots. Uh, I said that weird. Hotly contested shots. There you go. W- weird. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so they just can't do it in the clutch when it's at its most difficult. And, and that's been part of why this offense has just never come all the way around this year. I think part of it is the fact that late in games, you have one guy that you trust to make the big-time shots, and that's Wendell Green Jr., and everybody who's watched Auburn knows that at this point. He's going to be the guy who gets the ball because he's the player that can pull it off. When you have one guy that is the focus of it and nobody else is really a threat, it makes it much harder on that one guy. And we've talked ad nauseum about how Chance Westry and Yoan Treor were supposed to be a part of this team. They were supposed to be in the mix. And they haven't. And Westry's supposed to be this wing that can get the ball in his hands and drive to the basket and make those tough layups. Treor is the guy that can stand in the corner or stand on the wing and make those tough shots or make, make a, a tough contested mid-range shot. And that, having those guys would take pressure off of Wendell Green, not just for the, not just for the end of the game scenarios, but for the entire game and the fact that those guys aren't contributing as as at all, much less as scoring threats, then th- that, that makes it 10 times harder on this team. So let's go with that Wendell Green Jr. angle for just a second because, okay, this is also something. These are season-long conversations. Long season happens over the course of 30 to 35 games. This gets back to me, though. You, you kind of hit on it. You went a different angle with it than I would. But – Wendell Green Jr. is a second or third best player on a really good team. Yeah. yeah. He's not a best player on a really good team. And what that means is, as you were kind of pointing out there, at the end of the game, if Wendell's your second option, that might work out well for you. He hit a game winner last year when Jabari Smith was the first option and Wendell was the second or third option. But when he is the the top option, and look, let's let's admit it. This is when the size matters. This is when it matters how you're able to get your own and that sort of thing. And he gets his own plenty of times throughout the course of the game. But when you need a bucket, and it's the smallest guy on the floor that's not necessarily the most athletic guy on the floor. He's he's uh, he's just average athleticism for point guard. He's not bad. He's not good. Just average athleticism. When that is your top option, that is a very difficult option to make that work because he's had several opportunities throughout this year, late in games, to make the shot. And it's always had to be an incredibly difficult shot. The A&M game was a 28-foot pull-up on an action that was run for Jalen Williams initially that he could have pulled the trigger on, then gave back to Wendell and said, Wendell, you go do it. And so Wendell did it. It was air ball. He gets fouled, granted, in the Tennessee game, 
but it's an incredibly tough 30 foot shot off a double screen action that is that screens are taking place <laughs> above the three point line essentially meaning you can't shoot it underneath a screen it's gonna have to be past screen it's gonna be a 30 footer and so he's having to take these incredibly difficult shots. And so I don't necessarily blame him for missing them. But it, again, illustrates that that's what a second best option looks like. And this team lacks the first best option that a typical good quality offensive team would normally have. And so it makes everything go down the line. And it just kind of affects everybody. And again, you guys point out the freshmen. And look, in general, I don't say, hey, freshmen, go save me. But that's kind of what happened last year. And when you get high-quality recruits, you certainly figure that at least one of them will impact you in a positive way early on, the way Auburn has gotten these recruits lately. You wouldn't normally think that every everywhere or at every time. But Auburn has gotten several of those. It's not just Jabari. It was Sharif Cooper. It was Isaac Okoro. Uh, I guess Chuma took a year, but sophomore Chuma was unbelievable. Um, they've had plenty of guys do that in year one. And again, as you guys pointed out, Chance Westry was ineffective, then in, or injured, then ineffective, then injured again. Uh, you know, Trey Donaldson, I kind of like, but it's not an instant impact player now. Shows promise, but is not the guy. Uh, right. Uh, and, and just you could go down the line of guys, you know, y'all, you know, I, I, I'll tell you where I was wrong. And look, maybe this kid's going to be really good in two years, and I, I'll, I'll still think he will be. But I thought Yoan Traor would be awesome from your, from from day one. I, I, I think Bruce Pearl did too. Yeah, I, yes. and and he does not make a, a, an impact. No, he and, didn't. He didn't play. He didn't play a single minute. No, he only played yeah. there for a couple games when Chris Moore was he's, out. I he's believe, averaging about five minutes a game right now, and like you said, taking over mostly for guys that are injured and. You know, again, everybody in the country wanted this kid. I mean, everybody thought he was going to be an instant impact guy. It's not that Auburn did anything wrong in trying to get to him or expecting him to contribute because everybody expected him to be a contributor early in his college career. And it just hasn't clicked for him yet. Uh, And you've got to hope that it at some point does. And again, I think that Auburn next year, since we're talking about this, Auburn's got guys coming in next year that – everybody again thinks they're going to be very early contributors and are going to step on the court and be immediate difference makers are going to be shot makers which is what auburn lacks right now uh and so like i'm really i'm really looking forward to next year but for this year right now the fact that the guys that you brought in to contribute the newcomers that you thought were going to contribute you brought in i I guess four that you thought were really going to contribute trey donaldson and janai broom janai broom is one of the best players on the team he's been he's been solid very solid Trey Donaldson is playing. He's your backup point guard. That's kind of what you expected of him. But your instant impact game winners that you expected to have in Chance Westry and Yoan Treyor have done little to nothing for most of the season. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not prepared to say that it was a huge swing and a miss uh, from Pearl. It, I, it was a. It was definitely a swing and a miss as far as this season goes, uh, because those guys have just not had any sort of an impact. And you really thought, mainly with with Johan Treor, uh, he was a five star kid. He was the one that we, he, he had been committed to LSU uh, when all the you know the controversy happened at LSU. Auburn swooped in and got him, and that was a huge coup. When when uh, Pearl was 
was able to get him because again, six ten, six eleven, five star. He is. This is going to be the next Jabari. I mean, this might be another one and done coming in here, and then you put him up up with Janai Broom on the inside, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, Auburn's going to be a force when it comes to the inside. Well, that hasn't materialized because Treyor just hasn't figured out or whatever is going on there. Um, so as far as this year, yeah, swinging a miss on that and swinging a miss with a couple of these others that you thought were going to be major contributors. Um, you know, they're they're having a ride with what they've got, and uh, unfortunately, like you said, Ryan, they they just don't have that guy, the quote unquote that guy that you can turn the game over. And he's like, all right, fella, go out there and win it for me. Auburn does not have that. And that has continued to plague this offense, this team all season long. We will see if Auburn can find a way to win a close game. Might be involved in a couple more of these as we uh, go through the last six games of SEC play. We watch them through the SEC tournament and hopefully can still earn a bid into the NCAA tournament. Out of time for hour number one. When we come back, Kevin Ives, Plainsman Parking Lot, will join us. He will preview this 2023 Auburn baseball season. That is next. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting on this Monday afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brant Daughtry with me, with me here today. Coming to you live from our studios on South College Street. Fun first hour. There was a lot to recap over the weekend between Auburn basketball against Alabama and Super Bowl 57. And still a lot to do here on this Monday show as we now go to the Auburn Bank phone line. And we've got a very special guest. He is Kevin Ives. He's Plainsman Parking Lot on Twitter here for another year of Auburn baseball. Hard to believe Kevin is right around the corner. Had Auburn softball start this past weekend. The spring sports are here. First and foremost, hope you're doing well and, and thanks for being on the show today. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad that Auburn baseball season is back, and um, it'll get cranking this weekend with three games against Indiana. So it'll be a big weekend uh, with that team coming in and just the expectations from last year and trying to keep that momentum. Yeah, we want to talk expectations and, of course, about the newcomers and just everything going on with this team in just a moment, Kevin. But wanted to start off with some news that was made kind of throughout the offseason and now in recent weeks with the approval of it. But changes coming to Plainsman Park, uh, changes that have kind of been in the works to varying degrees for a while now. Kind of, again, remind us all of some of these changes going on with Plainsman Park and, and the timetable for when uh, we'll, we'll expect to see them. 
I think the timetable is not really – the construction won't really start until after this year. Um, and I'm not sure how long it will take everything to get up, but I assume they would get everything done in the offseason between the 23 and 24 season. But the big thing I think that the fans are most excited about is they're actually going to put seats on top of the Green Monster. And I think that's something that everybody's kind of been looking forward to. And everybody's been kind of um, wondering why wasn't Auburn doing that. It would make it a very unique venue. Um, and so it looks like that's going to be very similar to how Fenway has theirs, where it's kind of a, a standing room. You don't necessarily have a seat up there. Um, but I, I think it's supposed to be able to hold it like two rows of folks that are going to be up there. Um, that is a huge addition in itself. The bigger addition is really all the stuff that's going to be along the first baseline, and that's extending out some of the seats, building some more suites, um, building more areas out there that um, can kind of be not necessarily um, donor areas, but can, can be better sort of accustomed to. The, the best thing I can kind of equip it to, if you've ever been to Riverwalk Stadium, um, in Montgomery, how they kind of have their upper level set up. You basically have little suites that are kind of set up there with a bunch of seats that are um, that you can rent out for, for groups and events and stuff. And um, Not only that, but they're also redoing and putting seats on top of the Player Development Center. And I know that's going to be a really big deal because um, originally the renderings of, the, of that development center out in Rice Field, um, there were supposed to be kind of a terrace or a lounge area out there, um, some seats out there, and that's where Kate Corner was for a long time. Um, and so when they had the when they put the performance center in there, it kind of did away with Kate Corner. Uh, a lot of those folks had to gravitate elsewhere, um, but now it's kind of it's going to be back. And so I don't know if necessarily Kate Corner would be back in that area, but there will be more seating out there. And the biggest thing really is just it allows more people to experience Auburn baseball. And it kind of, um, it's an arms race right now in the SEC with a lot of these parks. Um, Tennessee is undergoing a major renovation. Georgia has a major renovation that's going on. You're trying to keep up with the already these top flight facilities like Bob Walker at Arkansas or Slazy Field or um, Duty Noble and, and Alex Fox Stadium at LSU. And so Auburn is in kind of a unique position, you know, where the, the the state where Plainson Park is located, um, you know, we've got a nice little setup with the corners between you've got Jordan Hare and you've got the arena and you've got the old BRD all kind of on that corner. Um, and so you'd like to keep everything there instead of doing something like, you know, South Carolina does where their baseball stadium isn't even on campus. Um, and it's off, it's off on its own little thing. So keeping Plainson Park where it's at, uh, being able to kind of build up instead of being out because you can't really build out anymore there. Um, I think it's going to be good. And honestly, the more people that are able to experience all the baseball to come to games will be fans, will be lifelong fans. Um, and I think it's just going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, talking with Kevin Ives here on Sports Call, discussing some Auburn baseball. And Kevin, let's kind of get in some nuts and bolts here of, uh, of this team and what to expect. Uh, obviously, some guys uh, coming back, some great leadership coming back. Uh, Casey Howell uh, back as a fifth year. And you got guys like Ryan Dial, Cole Foster, Bryson Weir. I mean, you've got some guys that are definitely coming back. But you're also losing guys like Sonny DeShera. Um, what are you looking at from this team uh, as far as the, the guys that are going to return for leadership positions and, and then some of the newcomers to look for? I think it's actually one of the best things about how college racial in general is kind of set up um, and how the, the schedule is kind of set up. You know, these first four weeks of the season, basically this pre, pre-conference schedule that we have, is all really going to be got times where guys can kind of find their footing and kind of step up 
into these leadership roles, you're, you expect guys like Jason Howell and Bobby Pierce to be leaders like in the outfield, um, and Cole Foster to like sort of slide in to be that next um, solid second baseman and everything and be a leader in the infield. Um, Nate LaRue behind the plate, uh, being a, being a leader and kind of working with the pitchers and stuff like that. I think those are guys that you kind of want to expect and then should step up. Um, you've got leadership on the mound too. And Joseph Gonzalez has been here forever. Um, and so what I would, what I'm going to be looking for, honestly, myself is just as a fan is seeing how many of those guys, like how everything kind of shapes up and how similar is the, the opening day lineup. Um, on Friday to the opening SEC lineup um, and seeing how guys have been able to either play their way in uh, or how they're kind of adjusting and everything. And so it's going to be neat to watch. Auburn has a lot of talent um, and there's a lot of depth in the outfield and in the infield with a lot of the transfers and stuff. Um, And so it's really just going to see what guys kind of – who makes – who's able to click early and kind of find those roles and settle into those leadership roles. Even on the bound, too, because Auburn really has their one and two guys kind of figured out with Gonzalez and Alsop, and they're, they're really trying to figure out who's going to be that third starter. Um, and so you'll probably see a ton of arms in this sort of pre-conference slate that's going through. Um, and you want to kind of see how we're going to, how they're going to mix and match, and you want to see how Coach Rock is going to handle the pitching staff um, and kind of see how he's going to have everybody kind of define their role. Um, and so it's going to be neat to see. And then you even some of the newcomers, um, I think the, the one that gets the most high, a lot of the praise and a lot of the, the tout um, is Ike Irish, um, who, you know, if everything kind of goes forward, can kind of click and kind of be that, he'll be that everyday catcher. But right now his bat is going to kind of keep him in the DH role and allow him to see more pitches and kind of develop and see how he kind of um, gels offensively. Um, and so that'll be kind of good to see. But, it's going to be neat. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, the fall, they've had fall ball. they had the spring. They've had the practices leading up into this weekend. But you really don't know until you actually start playing these games and you're in those game situations. You're playing teams other than Auburn. And so you can say this is what's going to be the, you know, probable starting lineup. But that's really just it. It's just going to be probable. Um, and you're just going to kind of – it's going to be neat to see – how everybody kind of slots in and how those puzzle pieces fit together uh, before Auburn starts SEC play. Kevin, we, we've t- heard a lot about how good this uh, this recruiting class was for Auburn baseball. Who are some of these new guys coming in that sh- that Auburn fans should expect to contribute to this team? Maybe not be superstars, but uh, to to put their mark on these games early. I mean, the, the Ike Irish that I mentioned is going to be the big one. I mean, I think that's going to be the one that's got the most um, kind of potential on paper, and I think a lot of people are expecting big things from. Um, I, I really think it's uh, – I'm interested to see, because I've not really looked at a, a bunch of the incoming pitchers, and I want to see kind of how those guys are going to um, shake out. Um, I would have to look and double-check the roster and stuff and and see you know who actually is new, but we've got a lot of transfers that are going to come in. Um, and even in the field, like Cooper McMurray, that's going to be a transfer at first base, and um, is going to be is, you know part of that recruiting class and stuff. Chris Stanfield in the outfield, um, he's going to pretty highly touted guy, um, and he we'll see if he's able to crack the lineup, um, or if maybe this first year it's going to be more based on his speed. He will be more of a, a specialist role, a specialist position. Um, but it's really just going to you're, you're going to see these guys trying to make a name for himself, and they'll get the opportunities. Um, in this kind of pre-conference slate that we have. 
And Kevin we talked a little bit ago about uh, Joseph Gonzalez and his improvement from year one to year two, uh, slicing his ERA in half essentially and became becoming a key arm for Auburn last year. He figures to be the ace this year, but we know he's had some short of, sort of shoulder ailment here early uh, in the season, and I, I get flashbacks, and maybe this is, is this is way out of proportion, but I get flashbacks from Tanner Burns last year at Auburn where all these expectations from being so good early in his career then he has an injury leading into his last year and he just never was never got right that year just how concerning is a is a shoulder injury uh, for a pitcher coming into a season i don't the only reason i'm not necessarily that concerned about it is because um and everything all the interviews and stuff that we've seen leading up to it um there has not really been a concern from the pitching staff i mean from the coaching staff on it i think it's going to be one of those situations where um He's probably not going to log as many innings as he could um, leading into the SEC slate. Um, and so it's going to be something that they're definitely going to watch and they're going to be cautious about. That is really kind of the, one of the better things that you can say about uh, Butch Thompson as a coach is that he is not going to sacrifice the kid's health for, you know, a couple of wins. Um, he's going to, there's enough players on the team that can step up and can find roles and stuff. And so if there is a hint, if there's an inkling in that, you know, Joseph is not 100%. They're not going to force him out there. And that is a really good thing to know um, and to kind of have faith on the team that that's, um, that that's going to happen. And so you, you really got to see, you know, who else would step up if that happens. And that's kind of, you know, a chicken and egg scenario. But I, I think that how Joseph pitches, um, the fact that he is more of a contact guy, he uses that sinker to his advantage, um, I think it, it helps him out a lot. It's not one of those situations where if it's a shoulder elbow injury, it's shoulder or elbow injury, um, and he's trying to pitch with a lot of velocity that it's going to or a lot of spin, that it's going to put way too much torque on those joints if he's you know trying to recover if he has a, has an issue. Um, I think Joseph's pitching style and his strengths kind of let him kind of figure out um, and let them be a little bit more cautious um, with what they're doing, and so. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's it's definitely something that, and it's something you deal with anytime with any pitcher. Um, you know, if, if there's an issue, and then pitching is such a highly toned craft, and you've got to have a, all the pieces working together for you to be successful. Um, you know, if something doesn't feel right, as long as it's vocalized and they kind of know about it and know what to do and know what the plan is. It should be okay. That's where you kind of have to put a lot more faith in the coaches in these scenarios because they're the guys that are seeing them every day, um, have been around the game enough that they are, they're going to know that yeah, this is kind of something that we need to you know put on the back burner and then we'll work on his long toss, work on his simulated games, stuff like that to see what we need to do and prioritize the recovery above everything else. Uh, Kevin, now looking at uh, it, it through the the SEC and and what we can look forward to. Uh, uh, so Auburn is picked sixth in the West, um, but then still, if you look at the league, they're either you know they're just right outside that uh, top twenty five in in the country. Um, obviously, a loaded, loaded SEC. Uh, LSU is going to be a juggernaut this year. We all know that um, with the guys that they're bringing in. Uh, and you've got you still got Florida, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. I mean, all those guys right up there in the top ten. Is, is this just going to be a, a monster year for SEC baseball? 
I mean, it normally is. I mean, every year is kind of a monster year for SEC baseball. This is the the most talented league in the country. And there's, you know, you kind of had that argument um, when it comes to other sports like football, you know, and you see how others. But in college baseball, the SEC is the premier division. You can see that with the the focus and the emphasis that outsiders and media have put on the league. Um, you know, D1 Baseball has an SEC-only subscription that you can get, and it's because the teams in this league are that talented, um, and they are they are just up and down. They're, the investment is there facilities-wise. The investment is there. Um, the money that goes into the program with the coaching staff and stuff and stuff. It's just the norm. It's always going to be a juggernaut in the SEC. You're not going to have a down year. Really, what what you want to do and what you what Auburn has been able to do is to just make sure that they're able um, to hit that hit that pecking order and to make sure that when it becomes that battle in the league, that you're in the middle of the league. Because if you're in the middle, if you get a you know 500 record in the league, um, if you get a above 500 record in the league, you're probably going to host a regional. Um, but you know, just it game in game out every weekend is going to be. Um, a top tier matchup because there's no real bad teams in the league. I mean, you can look at teams that you know have been on downswings for a little bit, like Missouri. But it is hard to go up there and win in Missouri. Um, they play a very different style of baseball than everywhere else in the league. Um, so that's all, those aren't just immediately gimme games. Um, you know, teams that are, that look like they're kind of rebuilding, like Mississippi State. Um, and they're still Mississippi State. They still have. That same talent that won a national championship two years ago. You know, they still have guys in that program that are experienced with that. And, you know, you look at the, I, I would have to look at the past national champions and, that have come from the league, but I mean, the SEC has really dominated college baseball. Um, and it's going to continue to be the case for a while. You know, there are leagues that are, that are making strides. The ACC is probably, you know, next. Um, the, then major wise, Sunbelt is you know kind of the same footprint as the SEC, but they're um, they've added a bunch of teams and they're going to be kind of super competitive and kind of fight for some spots. But yeah, in the SEC, that's what you that's why every weekend is so important. Um, and you know, making sure that you don't get swept and you get at least one game um, is so crucial in this league and just to survive in this league because you know you can go into a tailspin, but you can also dig yourself into a hole. To where, you know, it's hard to come out because you, you look like, all right, we just, you know, we Auburn had that where they started the started the year, zero and six in the league, and it's hard to kind of build out of that once you kind of started. So, you got to get your wins when you can. Um, you got to not get swept. But um, there's enough familiarity, I think, with the players here. And one of the things that you'll that you notice and that you kind of seen Auburn from year year to year um, under Butch is, yeah, they're probably not going to get a lot of those. Um, preseason rankings and everything, but they're still going to fight, and they're not going to be intimidated um, in any of these environments. They're used to it. Um, it's not a situation where, like, if you have a regional at LSU and you have three teams there that have never played in Baton Rouge, they can kind of get lost in that the aura of that place, and um, it'll affect how they play. For Auburn, it's not the case. Like, Auburn's used to it. Every other year, they're going to LSU. Every other year, they're going um, to Arkansas. Um, it's just what it is, and these guys know that. They know that the competition is there, the eyeballs are there, and that's why you get guys that, that want to come in. That's why Blake Rambush wanted to come in. Um, you want to play against the top uh, teams in the country and the top talent in the country. It's why you come to the SEC. It's why you come to Auburn to do this because 
it's only going to make you better. It's only it's that whole iron sharpens iron iron type deal. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a grind, and it's that's just kind of what you expect. And it's what makes it fun. It's what makes it really enjoyable um, each year. The fact that the league is so deep, you know, even. Um, I think the latest preseason projection had 11 teams, 11 out of the 14 teams making the NCAA tournament. Um, and that's huge. That's big. I mean, you only 64 teams are going to make it, and you, you know, almost almost a tenth are going to be from the SEC. Or I think I messed up the math, but um, a good chunk of them are going to be from there. So, yeah, it's, it's just what you want. It's kind of what you expect. And Auburn playing in the West doesn't make it any easier since we're still doing the divisions. Um, you know, and then in 2024, I, th- I don't know if the if it baseball changes in 24, the 25 season with Texas and Oklahoma joining, but you've got two teams right there. You know, Texas has been to more College World Series than any other school in the country. Um, you know, and Oklahoma was in the College World Series last year, so was Texas. So you, it's only going to get tougher. Um, it's not going to get any easier, and so you really have to make sure that you have the talent there the investment there, and Auburn's doing it. Auburn's making sure that they have that in place that you can compete and you don't get kind of left behind. He's Kevin Ives joining us on this Monday edition of Sports Call. Real quickly, Kevin, and then we'll get you, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, just preview this Indiana series for us, and then again, how uh, how people can follow along with you. Well, you can follow me um, on Twitter at AUPPL, at AUPPL. Um, you know, I Go to all the games. Um, got some road trips coming up. Indiana's going to be an interesting case because you don't know a lot. They are historically um, a, a very good team. They're normally, I think, they're picked fourth in the Big Ten. Um, but it's a Big Ten that's not outside of Maryland. That's not really super, outside of Maryland, Iowa, and Purdue. Those those top three teams um, that aren't really turning a lot of heads. And then Rutgers is in there too now. Um, Rutgers is probably going to have a really good season. Really good. Um, they're going to take that next step. Everyone kind of expects them to take that next step. But Indiana's going to be kind of competing in the in the middle of the, the middle of that pack. But um, I, Indiana is going to be a school. They're going to be in the same situation that Auburn is, um, where they're going to have they're using this weekend really to find these pieces and to figure out what they're going to you know how they're going to play the rest of the year. Their focus is going to be on the Big Ten. Um, Auburn's focus is going to be on the SEC this weekend. Is you you won't win, but you also want to learn a lot about your team. Um, and so you're going to have a team. Most of these Big Ten schools um, are going to have kind of medium power. Indiana is going to be the same way. Um, they're going to they're going to have one or two guys that are um, going to hit the you know hit past the fences. But that brand of baseball that's kind of successful in the Big Ten has been that just consistency has been great defense and then consistency at the plate where you're stringing together, you're making those big innings happen. Um, and so this is going to be a big test for Auburn. I mean, this is a Big D one school that's going to that's, that's coming in, um, Power Five school that's coming in, and then Indiana's weather wise has probably not been able to play a, a lot outdoors um, to practice. They've um, I don't know what the weather's been like in Bloomington, but definitely more snow than Auburn. Um, but they're going to spend the first you know half of their season on the road. This kind of starts their road trip um, for everything else. So it's going to be a grind. I think the the one thing you want to look forward look for on Friday especially. Um, weather's supposed to be in kind of the 50s. You want to see um, Gonzo gets to start how long he goes. Um, and you want to see how Auburn adjusts to Indiana because Indiana's going to be one of those teams that the more at-bats they get against Auburn, the more they're going to 
they're more they're going to change. Um, they're not going to be one of these teams. Like if Auburn is playing LSU this first week, and LSU is probably going to go into his mindset that this is what we want to be offensively. This is what we're going to do, and come hell or high water, this is how we're going to do it. Indiana knows they're still learning, and so they're going to take what Auburn gives them, and they may you know lose that first game. But that second game is going to be even closer, and then they're going to try to get that third game um, any way they can. And that's kind of the the mindset when you have a lot of these northern schools that will come down to where, yeah, they want to win a series. They want that, that big name you've knocked off an SEC school. And they've got the talent. They've got a lot of veteran talent to do it um, with graduate transfers and guys that have been in the program. And so they're going to come down here hungry. They want to make a statement um, as much as Auburn wants to make a statement and start the year off right. So. It's really just going to be one of those weekends where you're just, you just need to watch and see. You can't really make a prediction one way or the other because you don't know what to expect. Both these teams will be playing their first games. You have nothing to really base it off of um, because these, che- these teams will change so much from year to year. Um, it's just going to be a, a blank slate, really, for both the Hoosiers and the Tigers. And, and you want to kind of see on Sunday evening, you know, who feels better about where their team is and who feels better about what changes they can make to get better. He is Kevin Ives, Plainsman Parking Lot on Twitter, at A-U-P-P-L. Kevin, the time is greatly appreciated. Uh, Enjoy this opening weekend of college baseball, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Ives. That is Kevin Ives joining us here on the Monday edition of Sports Call. We need to take our next break of the show, but as we go to break here, we want to give you the opportunity to be a part of opening weekend at Plainsman Park. We have four tickets to Friday's game. This is a 4 p.m. game. The the game time change for Friday. 4 p.m. game on Friday against Indiana. Opening day for Auburn baseball. If you call in right now, 334-887-3401. Again, 334-887-3401. You'll win four tickets to see Auburn play Indiana this Friday inside of Plainsman Park. we got to take our next break of the show. More sports call coming up after this timeout. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm the host of this show. I've got Tom Peavy and Brant Doffrey with me here today. Appreciate Kevin Ives of Plainsman Parking Lot on Twitter joining us on this Monday edition of Sports Call. Whenever Kevin comes on, you know Auburn baseball is here. Yeah. And uh, we're just four days away. Yeah. I, and I mention it all the time. I mean, anytime when we first have Kevin on, I mean, if you're an Auburn baseball fan, or if you're an Auburn fan and you want to go check out a baseball game, it's a really fun time up on the parking lot. Top deck of the parking lot. Kevin and his whole crew are up there. Uh, there's 
plenty of uh, adult beverages uh, to go around, and and it's it's a great view from up there. Uh, it's just it's a great time. Hey, Kevin's a great dude. All the people that he hangs out with are great people. Um, they do a great job cleaning, help clean up and policing that top part of the deck up there to make sure it doesn't get trashed and. Uh, but yeah, it's a fun time up there. So uh, anytime if you if you don't have tickets, you can't get into the stadium. You can always go up to the top of the deck and hang out with Kevin and everybody else up there. And uh, we do encourage you to go out to that one or this whole series starting on Friday. And we appreciate Dane for listening to the program. He is the winner of our four tickets to that Auburn and Indiana game. Appreciate him tuning in and calling in there uh, and again that one will start at four o'clock on friday to move that up because it's gonna be a little bit cold on friday especially friday night be in the 50s throughout the day but uh overnight i think the low is going to be around freezing so they want to get that one in with a little bit more daylight and try and get that in before it gets too cold overnight uh and uh yeah i w- we needed to ask kevin we will in a future interview uh if the dynamic is going to change at all with the seats being added to the monster in left field uh, if he's going to alter operations or if they're going to have some sort of walkway between a uh, more defined walk area i guess to bridge the the deck to the to the stadium i, I don't know uh, yeah. that might be something worth asking here uh one of these uh interviews down the line let's go back to the auburn bank phone line and our first caller of the day is Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve. Steve, thank you for uh, hanging in there for a little while with us. How are you today? I'm doing much better than I was Saturday, so uh, thank you uh, for that. Uh, I know several of you guys, I know you uh, were not at the game, or were you, uh, Ryan? I was not. I was back here working okay. some Auburn softball. That's right. Brooks was at the game, though, right? Brooks was at it as in a professional capacity, and then Cam Berry was also there. Okay. Uh, and uh, Tom, I understand uh, you. Uh, Hadn't got enough sleep. Is that right? <laughs> I, I, I think that's kind of the story of my life. And and I was not at the game because I was trying to sleep uh, <laughs> after working about a 17-hour shift at the old Fat Daddy's. So, yeah. So Sle- did you sleep watch pl- any or most of the game? Uh, I, I was able to tune in for uh, the end, but now I've gone back and rewatched the game uh, from start to finish just to make sure I saw everything that I'd missed. Okay. Uh, what about our game against uh, Bama? Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what I was saying. I went back and watched it. Oh, okay. I'm talking about Super Bowl too, though. Oh, Super Bowl. Well, now, Super Bowl, um, Super Bowl, I was uh, bartending last night. We had a big party at Fat Daddy's with a bunch of uh, food, and I watched every bit of that. Okay. Watched all uh, the food Brent? or the game? I'm just kidding. Both. <laughs> watched my belly get bigger, and I watched some football. Brad, uh, good afternoon to you, too. Uh, did you watch uh, our game and the uh, Super Bowl as well? Uh, Brent just stepped out of the studio just a oh, second okay. ago. He's taking care of something podcast-related at the moment. He'll be right back in a minute, though. So I appreciate your comments, guys, and they were very uh, on target uh, for the most part. Unfortunately, uh, you know, it was a different game, same outcome. And uh, to me, it was a brutally, brutally painful uh, outcome. Uh, I say that uh, – with you know acknowledging uh, Alabama's basketball team this year is great, they they really are. However, I I would say for I'd say maybe eighty five nine percent of the game we outplayed them, but that doesn't matter in basketball. Yep. It was the last what three and a half to four minutes that mattered, and uh, unfortunately uh, we couldn't finish the game like uh, we haven't done in the past uh, two other losses and you're right on target guys we don't have a guy 
that will say to the rest of the team, give me the damn ball. Yeah, right. We don't have that guy. No, we don't. We don't. Well, well, I'll tell you this. I, I think I think we have – there's several guys that say, give me the damn ball, but we don't have anybody that can actually do anything with it when they get the ball. Well, right. All right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I want to get your take on this, guys. You know, the officiating uh, at first seemed, you know, pretty reasonable in the first half. But in the second half, guys, uh, it seemed like we were just getting uh, whacked and mauled underneath the basket and – Fouls were not going our way; they were going in Alabama's way. Did you see it differently? I would describe I would describe it as Auburn got a favorable whistle in the first half, and Alabama got a favorable whistle in the second half, amounting to an even game overall. Is, is how I would describe it. Uh, I just seemed to me that there was some really, uh, to me, suspicious or skeptical uh, calls, and there was some traveling going on by some Alabama players that just. Where uh, didn't go, you know, didn't get called. Uh, fouls that, uh, you know, I have room. I thought, how did he? How did he get fouled? Yeah, I mean, how did he get called for a foul? Uh, but they happened. But you know, thankfully, we made uncharacteristically uh, and only missed four of our free throws, which normally in a game that should be enough to win you a game, uh, but not in this game. And the the person that we were, you know, trying to stop, we did pretty decent job on. But Sears. Killed us at the end, and is it Bradley? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, off the bench, I believe he had. Yeah, uh, double uh, figures. Yeah, all of a sudden, or, well, you know, Bradley was a starter. I was thinking of Griffin, who had sixteen off the bench. But yeah, they yeah. had they had four and double figures. Yeah, they 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 came on at the end. Uh, and I want to ask about this, guys. We were down by three points with maybe what three minutes or left, less than three minutes left in the game, and Wendell goes down. And I'm saying, all the guys, hey, you know, three points that they have on us, you know, just go down and make a two point basket, and we'll then be down by one. But he goes for a three that didn't even touch the basket. Uh, I couldn't figure out that decision making, guys. Why be uh, so desperate to go for three when we're only down by three? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember exactly. I I know he took a three, but I'm trying to remember that shot exactly to tell you. We're down by three, and I said, well, okay, just go try to make a two point and just be down by one. Right. I, I know the situation. I'm just saying I can't remember for whatever reason how contested of a shot it was or, or that sort of thing. Uh, and I, I know that they definitely had a couple wide open threes, uh, maybe when they were down five, uh, that they that they they collectively obviously did not make. Uh, Wendell shoots a lot of threes. We know that. Uh, that's a part of uh, late in games. It's very difficult for him to, to drive down low and and you, we know he draws a lot of fouls. Well, the whistle gets swallowed a little bit more later in the game. So he usually stays outside a little bit more. Uh, we, we talked about diagnosing that he ends up taking a lot of tough threes late in games. And uh, look, I mean, the reality is if you're taking a contested shot, there's really no one on this team that I have high confidence in hitting a contested shot. You you got to find a way to get a lightly contested or open shot, and then you take that shot. So if you if you're able to get enough space to get uh, to get open, you pretty much have to shoot it because this team has just not made many shots when, when contested this year. I'm trying to recall why that last shot that he took for a three. Uh, we were only down by three, right. and it didn't even come close to hitting the basket. That, that's what was so uh, just you know disappointed. It didn't even come close. All right, and then you know uh, the final score. If you didn't know what had been going on in the game, and you saw the final score. To me, it was very uh, misleading. 
because you would have thought, well, Alabama must have been really, you know, just you know, uh, leading the entire game. No, I'd say we were leading probably eighty-five to ninety percent of the game until the very last three to four minutes. Do you disagree with that? Oh no, not at all. The, the, I think it was. I think the line ended up being two, which, by the way, Steve, we know we talked about as as being one or two, and it, and it was two for Alabama, and and that's the kind of game it was. It was a slight Auburn lead for for most of the game. I think they led. I want to say twenty three or twenty four minutes of the game, maybe twenty six. They they led twenty five. Okay, well, any any number in the twenties that I don't say, but but uh, <laughs> they they led more than half the game, and it was always close though. They never got out by more than seven or eight, and then uh, obviously Alabama clawed back. They started to hit a few threes in the last five or six minutes, and, and Albert, Auburn did not uh, answer that, and so it, it did make it look yeah. like it was not down the wire, although. Up until 90 seconds, I mean, the game had been played uh, in very close fashion for for 39 minutes. Yeah, this is the appalling part. We missed eight of our last 10 uh, attempts. Yeah. Yeah. Down the stretch has down the stretch has been really bad for Auburn. Not just this game, but the the last several. And Auburn it, just cannot finish on the offensive side. And again, of those ten, Steve, I mean, one of them, I, I I don't even really give to Auburn because it was the Wendell Green layup with a second left when they were right. down ten. So I mean, really, you know, of co- of consequential shots, they were what one of their last nine. Then, speaking of that, guys, I thought you know to me, why are you doing this? You know, the game is already over. But I'm talking about one of the Alabama players goes in and dunks this meaningless uh, basket. Mostly teams, when they're, you know, 10, 50 seconds left, they just you know, let, let the clock run down. That's the end of it. Uh, what do you make of that, guys? Uh, I, well, here's what I will make of it is the player made a decision. There was a video that I saw of Nate Oates on the sideline saying, no, 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 no. And he did it, and then he apologized to Bruce. So he he wanted him he wanted his player to dribble the ball out. Auburn, I think, thought that the guy was going to dribble the clock out, and he they threw it inside, and you get a dunk. But that was not a Nate Oates thing. Uh, the player just decided to keep playing on. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, Mr. Nate Oates, I. Uh I'm going to make a strong statement here. Maybe you guys can disagree with it, but uh, to me, the most arrogant sports statement made over the weekend was this one. I quote, I know this was their Super Bowl, so it was nice to come over here and get a win. Yeah, so for some reason, uh, that has become a thing with Auburn and and I guess playing in Neville Arena. Is that that little sister, little brother, you know, kind of dig? I, I, it's, I mean, Arkansas has said the same thing. Calipari has said the same thing. Uh, it, it's like they think that. Uh, it's almost like they've gotten this this idea that people show up to Neville Arena to watch them and not to watch Auburn basketball. And so, yeah, this is our Super Bowl, or their Super Bowl, because we're big, bad Bama, or we're big, bad Kentucky, or we're big, bad Arkansas. They don't realize that these students and the fans are showing up to every other game, too. So, you know, it's it's a played-out terminology. I, I hate it. Um, it's gotten old. It has. It's gotten old. Um, and yeah, it's it's old and it's dumb. But it's like I, I know of three different coaches that have said it. It's probably more than that. That they come into this big environment and they think that well the big environment is because we're here, not because Auburn's here. And it was all ESPN game day was there. 
Sure. So I and by the way, you know, uh, if anybody's little sister or little brother, it ought to be them because they haven't been in the Final Four. They haven't won the SEC championship uh, like we have. What two, uh, three seasons in SEC tournaments? So I don't know where that kind of quote was coming from, guys. So that really, I said, wow, this is what you're going to come up with uh, to say about the game. I don't think Bruce would ever say that kind of nonsense. No, and and Bruce was very complimentary of Alabama, called them the best team in the country. Yeah, and and, and look, and no, they are now number one. Right, and and Alabama is number one. Certainly, in the last five or six years, uh, Auburn has been more successful. But over over history, Alabama is the more successful basketball program. But I I think that that comment, the the Super Bowl comment, it, it's starting to play out and more. It, obviously, it's happened a few times with Auburn. I'm seeing it in reference to a lot of things now. It's kind of becoming the commonplace thing for the, quote, underdog to take on uh, a, a top five team or a, a number one team really in anything and, and calling it that underdog team's, you know, Super Bowl. I'm not a fan of the terminology for really any of these circumstances. Even if it was 9-14 and 14 South Carolina playing Alabama, I still would not say, oh, it's South Carolina's Super Bowl. I would say it's going to be their biggest game of the year. But I wouldn't phrase it in the way that it's their Super it's Bowl. It's arrogant. You know, it's a very it, like, arrogant right. Way of- you know, Saying and that. so I, I, I don't, I don't. It could be Nate Oates. If, if an Auburn person ever said it, I wouldn't like it. No matter who uses that terminology, I, I'm not, I, I'm not really a fan of it. And I don't recall Bruce saying anything like that to the team we played when we were ranked number one last season. No, no, I, I, I no. don't think I've only, it, it, I've only heard that terminology when it comes around to Auburn is when somebody comes here into a big hostile Neville Arena crowd that apparently. You know, they, they nobody ever shows up to Neville Arena until Kentucky gets here, and then it's the Super Bowler. Nobody ever shows up to Neville until Alabama shows up. It's dumb. It's really dumb and just overused now. All right, moving on, guys. Speaking of uh, our chances to make the tournament, Brightology, uh, thank gosh uh, Northwestern uh, upset uh, Purdue. Yeah. Uh, that That's in our favor, right? Yeah. It is. It is, uh, it is improving that win for sure. And Arizona got upset again. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, they're they in the top ten. So I'm trying to figure, well, how do these teams who lose to not very, you know, uh, great teams, in fact, some of them are unranked, and yet they remain in the top ten, I guess you might say, well, see if you're going to put above them, right? Well, yeah, because just basically, Steve, most of these teams lose every other week. So if one team doesn't lose last week, they're probably going to lose this week. There was a week, uh, t- I don't know if it was last week or the week before, that 14 of the top 25 teams lost that week. Well, if they're all losing, they can't all you know, go on top of each other. You see what I'm saying? So uh, the if I had a quell with the ranking, it would be that Tennessee is, some, is still 10th. That's the team that I, I no longer – Judge to be in that yeah, category. Yeah, how about that one? Uh, did you see the ending of that one? Uh, I did. They've lost on uh, back-to-back buzzer beater threes. Right. If I was a Tennessee fan, I'd be miserable. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, that's two rough ones in a row. And I saw how that ended. Uh, this was, I mean, I couldn't. Uh, the odds of that one would have been a prop bet. So I never uh, would have expected that to happen. But they were at the free throw line. Did you see what happened? Uh, Tennessee was to make a free throw, and they got whistled for a foul at the free throw line because apparently a Tennessee player did yep. something uh, to a to a Missouri player. I don't know what it was, and they got the ball back with 4.3 seconds. 
Yeah, no, a uh, a lane violation or, 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 or something. I didn't see the game, but I, I saw that, that that did occur, which added to the, the wackiness of it. Uh, that, that, was, that, was a, that was what I call a bad beat. All right, moving on real quick to get to the Super Bowl. I've seen people making comments and breaking um, report calls, refs equal Super Bowl win, and I'm saying, wait a minute, I saw the game. And some people think it was controversial, but the player who did actually grab, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, the, has a first, the, Juju, yeah. Okay, well, he grabbed him twice. Once he was running uh, uh, his route, and then once at the very end, uh, as he was still trying to make a break. So, he, and the the, the player uh, for Eagles acknowledged. It. I read it. He said, "Yeah, I did hold him. I grabbed him." So, where's the controversy, guys? Why, or am I making? Because I was pulling from uh, for uh, Kansas City anyway. But did you guys see as being a controversial? Uh, should have been a no call. I, I I personally think that it should have been a no call. Um, I, the, 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 the play the player is going to say that. I think he's he's saying he's that taking leadership. He's and taking, not getting yeah, fine. Right. But. He's taking the leadership on. I, was it holding? Yeah, kind of. But it was such a it was such a tweener type deal that in that one you don't throw the flag on that. It, it did not. Uh, if that it, it did not alter that play that much. Now, I mean, if he had just completely held him up from running and, and really just jacked that play up, then I can see that. But he really – he never – fully stopped his movement downfield was there a little bit of a grab there yeah a little bit but it just in that crucial part of the game i don't think you throw the flag there that was that was the first defensive pass interference or defensive hold called of the game and you have a hard time selling me that that kind of contact did not occur at any other time in that game right and to call it there the timeliness timeliness of it i know we've not spoken about it and i won't completely go off on it right now but i i thought that was a incredibly poor call uh given the circumstances of the game and the fact that you can even have a debate on if it's actually holding or not or kind of holding is again all the more evidence to why why was that not called at any other point in the game and you decide to de facto in the game with, with that call, uh, I, I think it's a – I won't mince my words here, Steve. I think it's an all-time bad call. I think it's an okay. awful call. So let's say it was a bad call. Now, do you recall how much time was left in the game when that happened? Minute it was 40. less than two minutes. Yeah, minute 48 minute or so. 40? Yeah. Okay, all right. So let's say that call didn't no, – no flag was thrown, right? Yeah. So then we go to a field goal attempt, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, or was it, that, was, that was a uh, third down call, yeah, that right? Was, that third was down third down. Yeah, that would have been fourth okay. down. Okay. So let's say uh Kansas City guy makes it. So the time left on the clock probably about a minute and a half? Minute 40, minute 45. I mean, just, just subtract five seconds from whatever the time would have been because it wouldn't have been a running clock. So if, if it was incomplete okay. at 146, let's say, then it would have been 140 when they kicked off. Yeah, I, I think it was heavy that the – the uh, the running back who was it was it uh, Isaiah uh, Pacheco or someone else? Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. Uh, that he didn't score like uh, forty. I thought about Trey Mason. Why you just fall on the fall on the ground, man? Uh, but anyway, so then uh, that would have given uh, the Eagles and Mister uh, Youngerhurst about a minute and a half, maybe a little bit more to to go downfield, right? Yeah, about a minute forty. Okay, what's your what's your uh, 
I guess, what's your guess on that? Uh, do you think they uh, could have been stopped or not? In, in the modern day NFL, a minute 40 is an eternity. They, abs- they absolutely would have been able to have a chance to score. I, I, I personally don't think it's the worst call I've ever seen, um, but I do think as far as that moment I, I don't know because I don't want to say oh the rules should change because it's the end of the game you know the, the rules should stay the same but uh, personally I, I don't think that I don't think there was enough there as I, my my thought process with football is if there's any doubt in your mind keep the flag in your pocket uh, and, I, I would have preferred them not to throw the flag and in I want to say that I thought the refs did an outstanding job of that until that call i i did not have a single there and there was a couple tough calls on reviews to make that were controversial but in my opinion i thought they had done a great job until that and that's why i was so aghast that i thought we had gotten through a fully contested close game without a single really really controversial call and then boom as controversial as it gets pretty much in the last two minutes that that's also what kind of what kind of hurt me a little bit more was i thought they had done such a good job until that call okay and you know i get well you can't challenge uh, a uh no. a flag right nope okay all right uh mvp um well now about a friend of mine uh for some reason was living thought that Jalen Hurts deserved it. Uh, I thought it was Mahomes that deserved it. What do you think, guys? Uh, I, I think it's got to go to the winning team. I think Hurts was every bit as good as Mahomes. Hurts was awesome. He counted for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns. He was the Eagles' offense, totally and completely, and he was awesome. But I just think objectively, you just you've got to give it to someone on the winning team. Last thing for Steve, then we got to get Last the thing. hour break. That's tomorrow night. We'll talk more about it. But uh, you know, this is an overused phrase, but I'll go ahead and use it. Tomorrow night's game is a must-win. Yes. Agree, disagree. It, we agree. Oh, 100%. It, if you want if you want to keep any chance of um, of NCAA hopes alive, you have to win these games that are the winnable ones. We knew the others were going to be tough and they're still tough at Kentucky, Tennessee coming here. Those are tough, but Missouri, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, very winnable games and if you lose those then your net ranking and everything is going to bottom and you cannot lose those hold on hold on guys because what you're telling me is scaring the crap out of me because i just read that missouri is the second highest scoring team in the country they're very efficient. They're very good offensively. I don't know. I didn't know they ranked second in the country, but I know. Number two. I just read that from Nathan King. Or is it second in the conference? No, second in the country. Okay. All right. Interesting. I know they're good offensively. We got to let you go, though, okay, Steve. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for your time. My time is way up. Uh, I appreciate you letting me uh, be therapized. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a safe evening. War Eagle. War Eagle. That is... Retired Word and Steve joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Out of time for hour number two. Keith from Auburn will lead us off in hour number three. Stay tuned. More sports call after the break. Two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. 
Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three of Sports Call here on this Monday. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brant Dontry with you here. Busy show so far, and uh, that will continue Uh, We've had Kevin Ives on the show. We've uh, talked Super Bowl. We've talked Auburn, Alabama, and still a lot more to cover. Best and worst of the weekend coming up in a little bit. Also still got to do birthdays and sports this hour. But next, let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line. And first up here in hour number three, Keith from Auburn. Keith joins the program. Keith, how are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing very well. Good. I just wanted to. Uh, I've been listening and, and, and heard some comments, and you know, Ryan, I've got to say you you were, you were spot on with the uh, the the holding call there at the end. Uh, because here's the deal, um, in my opinion, if you hadn't called it all night, why are you going to call it with two minutes to go in the game? And now, if it's blatant, I understand that. I mean, if the guy tackles it, but if you go back and watch the replay. Even if he hadn't grabbed his jersey, that guy wasn't gonna catch football. Mahomes overthrew him. Sure, it, it, it just wasn't gonna happen. So uh, to um, to make that call, and I'm not saying the official was right or wrong for doing that, but to make that call in the Super Bowl when it hadn't been called all night, and it ends up in the Chiefs after a very well fought, very good Super Bowl. It ends up with the Chiefs taking, what, two nil downs or, or three nil downs to run the clock out yeah. to kick a, a three, you know, a field goal. Uh, you, you don't make that call. I mean, the fans, okay, I, I'm going I'm to jump on the fan wagon a minute. The fans deserve better than that. That's my opinion on that. And, and uh, you know, I'll leave it at that. I thought it was a well-played game. Uh, Tom, I, I agree with you. I don't know. You know, I don't know what kind of juices and what kind of shots Mahomes got at halftime, but he got some. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he looked like a different player out there. But, you know, you got to give Kansas City uh, and Andy Reid and Eric Bellamy or whatever. Enemy. Eric Enemy. Yeah. A lot of credit. I mean, they had a great game plan. Uh, I thought Philadelphia had a great game plan in the first half. Uh, really – Really and truly, they should have been up more than ten points going into half. Um, you know, and and then uh, I, I just think they got uh, that that Casey made the the more adjustments at the halftime, uh, and and that's the reason they won the ball game. You know, uh, I will I will say this about the Philadelphia head coach, and I can't pronounce his name. Uh, Nick Sirianni. Sirianni, thank you. Uh, you know, he took the high road on that call. I thought that was very classy, uh, how he handled that. And, you know, I tip my hat off to him on that. Um, but anyway, that's all I have on the Super Bowl. I wish they'd just play the Super Bowl and get all this Hollywood crap out of there and just have a regular ball game and not, you know, uh, all these uh, singers and dancers and everything else uh, it, it just takes away from the game i think and uh you know if you want to do that then have an academy award or, or whatever the musical awards are and, and you know do that but I'm, I'm not a big fan of the halftime shows and, and all that stuff did like did like the commercial i thought the john Tra- travolta uh, commercial uh was pretty cool 
uh, right there at the end. I think there was a uh, Blue Moon commercial or one of the beer commercials I thought was pretty cool there at the end, too. But I'll, I'll leave that at that. I know I don't think I've heard any of you guys talk about the commercials, but uh, that was my two favorite. Um, real quick, uh, you know, I, I heard Steve and he talked about Nate Oates' quote about uh, – you know, it being Auburn Super Bowl. Well, let, let me let me tell you a little secret, Steve. In about a, a week or a week and a half, when Auburn comes to Alabama, guess who Super Bowl that'll be? It'll be Alabama Super Bowl. So you know, it goes both ways. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, yeah, you can read into it what you want to read, but uh, I guarantee you Alabama and Nate Oates uh, when Auburn comes to Tuscaloosa, it's going to be their Super Bowl too. So, uh, you know, that kind of goes both ways. Um, you know, I, I think uh, today with Purdue losing and Alabama becoming the number one, I know last last year Auburn was number one. It's, it's good. First of all, it's good for the state of Alabama. And yeah. second of all, it's good for the SEC. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, other than Kentucky and maybe Florida in the past, you never saw that. You know, all you blue bloods. Uh, and, you know, I think the uh, – the, the dynamics of these schools are uh, are changing. Uh, I, I guess a lot of it has to do with the talent. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Tom? When when everybody's got talent, it's it's what's it called? <laughs> uh, oh, I'd plow. yeah, you put me on the spot now. I, well, parody? I, I don't yeah, parody, called. parody. There we go, parody. parody. That was the word I was looking for. So you know, there's a lot of parody out there, and and. Uh, you know, I think that I think the NCAA tournament is wide open. Uh, yeah, I'm tickled to death that Alabama's number one, but you know, their their uh, prize for being number one is now they got to go face a, a angry Tennessee team that's just been ripped off the past couple of games with uh you know last second shots or you know whatever is going on with them uh, there. But uh, you know, and and you know, hopefully Alabama can go up there and stay focus and, and, you know, try to get out of there with a win. But Tennessee's a great, uh, great basketball team as well. I mean, they've lost some tough some tough games uh, down the stretch. But uh, I will say this. You know, I, I think I think Alabama, I think Purdue, and I think Houston have kind of separated their self a little bit uh, from the rest of the pack. But here's the deal. You know, and you hear it all the time when you get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, guards, if you got good guard play, that's going to carry you a long way, and uh, and you know, and getting to where you want to go uh, in, in the big dance. However, Alabama does have great guard play. I mean, with Sears and um, nah, I can't remember his name now. Comes off the bench, uh, uh, Quinterly. Yeah, thank you, Quinterly. Uh, you know, and and then some of these younger guys. I mean, Alabama's deep. They're talented. Um, you know, so I, I think that favors them a little bit in the NCAA tournament. But here's what I want the point I wanted to make about Alabama. They've lost three ball games. And they've lost those three ball games to teams that have a good big man. So I, I, I think that's where uh you, you gotta look at Alabama and say, Okay, you know, if a team's got a big a, a very good big man like a Purdue or a Yukon uh, you know, those schools, uh, you know, the three losses Alabama had, maybe that, that's their, you know, kryptonite that, you know, they struggle against. I will say this, uh, and, and I agree with 
what all of y'all said about the ball game Saturday. Auburn led that ball game for probably 90% of the game or even more than that. Uh, I did feel like that Alabama would find a way because great teams find a way to win on the road down the stretch. Uh, Auburn doesn't shoot the ball well. Uh, Auburn's guards can just lethargically shoot you slap out of a ball game. Um, they don't have any shooters on, on that team. So uh, I, I, I did feel like that Alabama, even the game tied at halftime, that Alabama would find a way to win that ball game down the stretch. I just think they was a little more deeper than Auburn and a little more talented than Auburn this year. But what I want to say about that with a big man, if you take uh, the big guy from – from Auburn last year, um, Walter Will, Kessler. Yeah, well, yeah, and you put him on this team uh, this year. Uh, Alabama doesn't win that ball game um, in Auburn, uh, you know, because he's such a great shot blocker and he defends the goal so well. And then Broom had a difficult time. Um, you know, I think Auburn's game plan was great. Uh, what they wanted to do, you know, Alabama's bread and butter is they will, you know, if you watch their offense, they play a lot of five out. I mean, they really do. Um, but, you know, uh, Auburn ran them off the, the, the three-point line. And, uh, you know, if Alabama doesn't shoot the ball well, they struggle. But the reason they didn't struggle Saturday is because they were able to get to the goal. And uh, like like uh, you guys talked about, some, you know, a lot of uncontested shots or, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. So, uh, you know, I think that's the Walker-Kessler equation. If, if if he would have been playing this year, that it might have been a little bit different story. Uh, but all in all, it was a great ball game, great atmosphere. And, Steve, don't worry. I promise you, when Auburn comes to Tuscaloosa, uh, it's going to be just as loud as it was at Auburn um, as far as them wanting to win a ball game. So, um, you know, we'll see how, how all that, that uh, plays out. But uh, but anyway, guys, I, you know I do uh, appreciate you taking my call, uh, Anthony. I love you to death, and I, I get you, man. I know what you're saying. You know when, when you can get people talking about you and you ain't even on the show, uh, you, you're doing something for yourself. It's called marketing, <laughs> and you do a good job of that. But uh, that game wasn't gonna be a 50 point game, uh, and and Bama wasn't gonna drop a hundred. So uh, good job, Anthony. You, you, you know. You're doing what you you do. People talk about you, and uh, your name gets out there. So keep up the great work. Yeah, matter of fact, I may hire you to be my marketing uh, director on on some of the stuff I got going on with insurance. But anyway, guys, uh, appreciate it. Y'all guys, keep up the great work. Um, you know, great to great to listen to you guys, and uh, you know, hopefully, good Lord willing, we'll be listening again uh, tomorrow. Yes, sir, Keith. Well, we appreciate the phone calls always. That is uh, Keith from Auburn joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, a lot of good points made there by Keith covering uh, basically the weekend in sports there with the Super Bowl and the Iron Bowl on the on the basketball court. Uh, you know, I, I think although it's going to be, uh, like you said, you know, a huge game for Alabama in Tuscaloosa when they play Auburn. Again, I just – I don't love the Super Bowl talk either way. You know, I mean, like right. if Auburn was doing it too, if anyone else was doing it, even even if to a degree it is true and it is the biggest game of the year, I, I don't – I don't like the marketing for whatever reason of, of it being the Super Bowl. And, and that goes both ways. I don't want Alabama to think that it's, uh, you know, their their Super Bowl to play Auburn or vice versa. And, and right. uh, you know, that's just not – 
a huge dialogue I'm a fan of, but uh, certainly that was an interesting quote of the weekend. Uh, it was a very hotly contested game, as we talked about. Auburn did a lot of things well. They, they kind of quieted Alabama in a lot of areas that Alabama – has done a really great job of this year. Uh, and, you know, when you go, to, what was it, 22-27 that we said, or 23-28, Alabama went from two. Yeah, a great shot blocker down low would have made an imp- a big impact in that particular game. Now, wow. throughout the course of the year, this, is Kessler as valuable in other places and other games as he would have been against Alabama? No, because ultimately Auburn would still have to score and make some jump shots and on this rendition of the team. But in that particular game, uh, defending the rim, I, I like Keith's point there that that uh, could have been potentially significant there. It's it's the Super Bowl terminology is weird to me because the Super Bowl is a football thing. Well, and, and we're, we, heart, we keep yeah. hearing like I've heard more talk about the Super Bowl in basketball than football lately, which seems dumb to me. Like why why don't you say uh, this is their biggest game of the year? Why why do we equate everything to the Super Bowl? It's that's everyone. Is the, it's it's bass biggest, backwards to me. I, I don't understand. I, well, the, I, I don't like it just because. I mean, it, it's and it's a, dumb for all the reasons well, you guys have already listed. Right. It, there, there's that, but I mean, you know, and it's but it's a nice way to kind of jab at the opposing fan base, and, right. and you know that, and that's all that is. It's it's a very underhanded, sneaky way of saying you really don't take basketball seriously, and your your fans are not very good. But they only show up when we come. And that's exactly what that connotates when you say that. And that's why I don't like it because it's a very underhanded jab at your fan base. And when we, as fans who have sat there and watched numerous games in Neville Arena, know that that is one of the toughest environments, one of the most most insane environments in all college basketball – and so it, it, it aggravates me when an opposing coach gives that little underhanded jab at you that, you know, y'all are really – your fan base is actually not very good. Y'all actually kind of suck as a fan base, and y'all don't ever show up for games until we come, and then you show up. Right. And no. Go, go you know what you're saying. <laughs> another, uh, another point from Keith, uh, I really liked when he talked about uh, just the state of Alabama. I know Auburn people are not going to root for Alabama and, and vice versa, but um, this state is really helping out the SEC right now because yeah. Kentucky has been down for a few years now. I mean, it, it, I know they had a really good team last year, but they won zero NCAA tournament games. They had a couple of rough years before that. Florida with Mike White has had, uh, or when when Mike White was at Florida, I should say, had perennially average bubble type of teams they were not the same as with billy donovan uh lsu is been in trouble now with the ncaa last couple years because of will wade's uh strong offers And, and you've had all these teams in this league that have traditionally been the top four or five teams have all gone through rougher patches than normal for themselves. Uh, Arkansas has gotten back here in the last couple of years to relevance. But again, when, when you're, when you've got Kentucky, you got one of the five great programs in college basketball history and they haven't won an NCAA tournament game in four or five years. uh, That's a troubling mark there. So to have Auburn be number one at one point last year to make a final four, a few years ago, be consistently in the tournament picture. And now Alabama to have their second really good team in the last four or five years, and reached the number one ranking this year. Uh, State of Alabama, decidedly known for football, uh, having success here recently, 
in basketball. Before we take this next time out, we need to. Do, it's a little bit uh, later in the show, but we need to do today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays and sports presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Great list today. Just going to skim through it, though. Akeem Talib turns 37, former NFL cornerback, played for multiple different teams and is a Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos. Reuben Brown turns 51, former NFL guard. Uh, Brown played in the league for a while. Three-time All-Big East selection, played 14 seasons with the Bills and the Bears and was a nine-time Pro Bowler. Mike Krzyzewski turned 76 today. Former head coach, weird to say that, former head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. Coach K coached a long time with Duke. Made Duke what it is today. Five-time ACC Head Coach of the Year, three-time Naismith Coach of the Year, and five-time National Champion with the Blue Devils. His first year out of it, Mike Krzyzewski turned 76. And one of the great receivers of all time in the NFL, Randy Moss, turns 46. Uh, had some gaudy stats in college. Uh, and uh, we were talking, what, 54 touchdowns yeah. uh, and 3,500 yards in two years while at Marshall. <laughs> in two years, 54 receiving touchdowns. Won the Belitnikoff trophy. Uh, and then he was that good in the NFL, too. 14 years with the Vikings, Raiders, Pats, Titans, and 49ers. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time touchdown leader in the NFL. Made the Hall of Fame in 2018. Has his own little segment on NFL Countdown. You got Mossed. Randy Moss turns 46 today. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. Again, Randy Moss, who turns 46. Mike Trzeski, who turns 76. Ruben Brown, who turns 51. And Aqib Tlaib, who turns 37. We need to take our next time out of the show today. When we come back, best and worst of the weekend, and we'll start to wrap things up, get you set for Beauregard High School girls basketball as they are in the state tournament. That one starts on our airwaves at 6 o'clock airtime just a few minutes before that. So we'll start to wrap up sports call and best and worst of the weekend coming up after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call here on this Monday. Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here. Fun show. Had a lot going on and uh, a lot accomplished. We've given away baseball tickets. We've talked to Kevin Eyes. We've talked to a couple of callers. We've uh, talked Super Bowl, Alabama and Auburn basketball. Best and worst of the weekend coming up in just a moment. Before we do that, though, we want to tell you about some news that you have surely heard by now uh, as it broke Thursday night after we went off air. We, of course, did not have a show on Friday, as we will not for the next few Fridays. And then the weekend hit, and now it's Monday, so it's not really in the news cycle per se anymore. But we want to discuss it for just a moment on this show. 
and that is Texas and Oklahoma and the TV companies striking a deal to leave the, uh, leave the Big 12 a year early, join the Southeastern Conference starting with the 2024 season. Kevin Ice kind of alluded to that in his interview when t- discussing when Texas and Oklahoma would continue to make the SEC in baseball that much more tougher, as it will do in many sports. Uh, but Texas and Oklahoma joining a year early, that had been – it had been discussed both ways. It, there was momentum for that uh, a few months back. Then we heard uh, late 2022, around November, December, that the TV deals or the TV companies were, were making it very difficult and that it might not happen. And now everyone came to an agreement there. So one more college football season, technically two more baseball seasons and uh, another basketball season and a half, but one more college football season where – Texas and Oklahoma are in the Big 12 until they join the SEC. And again, as we've been talking about these other sports that are not just football, Texas and Oklahoma bring a lot to the league in really all these sports that we talk about a lot. A basketball program in Texas that has had a lot of success, a lot of famous players go through there. Oklahoma off and on, uh, but has had some big years maybe five, ten years ago. Um, went to Final Four and that sort of thing. Uh, in Baseball, Texas, as Kevin Ives mentioned, most college World Series trips of any college baseball program. If you want to talk about softball, which we've talked a little bit about, Oklahoma, the power right now in college softball. And they're coming. One more calendar, one more turn of the calendar in 2024. Fall of 2024, Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC. Yeah, uh, I think it's an exciting time for the SEC. Uh, the, the biggest thing that everybody wants to know is how they're going to separate things like how are the scheduling is going to be made that's what everybody wants to know are they still going to do it east and west and are they going to put auburn and alabama over in the east and, and even it out that way you know, how exactly is this going to work and that's what that's the million dollar question right now i i, I think folks are excited uh at least people that i've talked to seem very excited to, to have texas and oklahoma come in here because uh you're going to be able to renew that texas texas a&m rivalry you're still going to be able to keep the texas oklahoma rivalry so you're adding more juice to to some sec rivalries some some big time sec rivalries there um I think it's cool, and, I, and I'm I'm excited to see Auburn go out to Texas and play. I'm excited for Texas to come here and play. Same thing with uh, going out to Oklahoma and having Oklahoma come here. Um, I think it's cool, and I, I'm I'm ready to see it. But like I said, million dollar question is how are they going to divide this up? Because nobody seems to have a grasp on exactly what's going to happen with that. Brant, how do you want it divided up? Uh, I, I like putting both teams in the west, or in the east, uh, Auburn and Alabama, I mean, and putting Texas and Oklahoma as the two new teams in the west. I think that's definitely a, an effective way to go about it. I don't know, though. I, I kind of hope that they get rid of east and west entirely because I think if you're at a program for four years that plays in a specific conference – you ought to at least play every team in the conference. I understand if you can't do home and away for every team, but I, I think that the fact that there were there were a couple of classes that came through Auburn that never played Florida, for instance, that that was a big a big uh, topic that went around when Auburn went to Gainesville in 2019. Uh, that, that most of those kids that had come, most of those classes that had come through a couple of years prior, never played Florida, home or away. So I, I think. As long as you're sticking to the East and West format, that's going to continue to be an issue. Um, I like the pod system where you have 
three permanent opponents uh, or four or however many, however many the, the math requires to. And I think they are going to go to the four-team pod system and rotate the pods all around. You play one team from every other pod and the three teams that are – or not one team, but he, I, I'm not sure how the math works out. But the, the end goal is that a player, if you play four years at a, an SEC institution, you're going to play every other school in the SEC at least once. Uh, most of them twice, and I think that's the I think that's the good way to go about it. So when Ross Dellinger was reporting this of SI on Thursday, he said that the football scheduling model is between two divisionless formats: eight games with one permanent and seven rotate, or nine games with three permanent and six rotate. My biggest thing is I'm actually, and I know there's going to be some people that would disagree, they, they very much care about the division aspect of this. I'm fine either way with pods, divisions, divisionalists, don't care. What I care about is the nine and the three and the six because I think you've got to protect rivalries, but I think you've got to rotate. And if you yeah. play nine games, if you play nine conference games, you protect three you're going to protect really every rivalry that actually truly means something, uh, or at least in its current form. I know there's some would argue like an Auburn-Florida meant something, and, and now it's not played anymore. But of the current rivals, you'll protect the, the truly good rivals here. And then with six rotating because of the nine conference games, you will still play everyone every other year. So you'll play Florida – you know, if someone actually does not hit the portal and plays four years for a school, you'll play Florida both in Gainesville yeah. and in Auburn. You, you'll say goodbye to some teams yearly that you're used to playing, like Auburn and Arkansas, or and may, wait, wait, may check out maybe Auburn and LSU's no more. Right. But you'll still see them every other year, and you'll still see them in every class at home, every group. Of, if you're not a, a football player, if you're attending Auburn University – you will see LSU in Jordan-Hare Stadium at least once during your time at Auburn, assuming you don't finish early and, you know, good for you if you do. But <laughs> but but if you spend four years here, you'll see them. Graduate school time. Right, there you go. Or you can see them twice if you go to grad school. So <laughs> I, I, I think that's what I care about is just making sure you rotate. And Greg Sankey's on record saying that they don't love how it turned out. He, he's on record of saying that they need to rotate through campuses quicker than they have, and I think that bodes well. I think the nine versus eight thing here, uh, as Dellinger noted in the SI article, some of it pertains to TV money, yeah. as shocker most of this does. Uh, if, if they can get any more TV money out of a ninth conference game, it's going to happen. It might happen either way. It's not dependent on that. But if, for whatever reason, the SEC can squeeze more money out of Disney for a ninth conference game, then they're absolutely going to do that. And that, that should not break any news there. But, but that will happen if, if, if they get more money. So that's what I care about. You know, you can say, de facto, it's almost a pod. If you've got three protected and yeah. rotate six, the reason it would not is how you would – classify the conference how you decide a conference champion mm -hmm. is really where it becomes pod versus no pod at that point and if it's divisionless you you don't worry about some semi-final format in the pods and conference championship and so that's that's the key difference there i also by the way think if you're going divisionless and you've got 16 teams 
you need an extra game to try and figure some ties out, <laughs> by the way. I, I think that ninth game could help you. You play eight games with 16 teams, you have a bunch of fun at 6-2 and two or 7-1. and one. Lord forbid, you might have three or four-way ties to settle. And I, I don't think anyone likes ties, and you want to you wanna have as few ties as possible. So you got to get that ninth game in there to try and help alleviate it. Not saying that's going to prevent ties. It won't. There will still be some ties, but less of them the more games you play, hopefully. Uh, so very interesting coming to the league a year sooner. I'm down with that. I think it's going to be very awkward this year to see uh, Oklahoma and Texas play like, I don't know, UCF and Cincinnati as conference games. It's going to be kind of weird. Uh, I don't like that. That'll, that'll uh, be awesome. Yeah. I, didn't even, I hadn't even thought about that. It's yep. just like they know they're on the way out the door, but the new guys that are going to take their spot are, are already there? here. Yeah. That's interesting. It's going to be some weird stuff. Where, where are those games going to be played? Do we know? Like, is Texas going to have to go to Orlando? Because uh, that's awesome. I, I'm going to have to look that up. The schedule did come out like two weeks ago. It's available. I just don't have it in front of me. Uh, and, I, and I don't recall everything that's on each of those schedules. But I do think there is some uh, there is some overlap between Oklahoma and Texas schedules with the new Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and, and UCF. I don't know uh, all the particulars on that, though. Uh, it is a Monday. We move on here as uh, only about 10 minutes or so left in the show today. And again, Borgard High School girls basketball in the state playoffs from Borgard High School coming up uh, right after. So let's get to mon- the, uh, today's best and worst of the weekend. Now time for the best Woo-hoo! and worst. No! 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 Of the weekend. All right, best and worst of the weekend. I think we started positive last weekend. Let's start negative this weekend. Uh, I, I, I so I'll go with a negative um, with the Super Bowl, and, and it's such a it's a minor thing, but it he's did gonna it. take mine. He's gonna take mine. Go ahead and take mine. Go ahead. The field. Yep. Really? That was gonna be mine. Mm. Really? Joint. Joint. We'll we'll both speak on this. Go ahead. You first though. So the so the playing surface uh, out there is trash. Yep, complete and total trash. Uh, it was complete and total trash when Auburn played Oregon on that field, and it, and it turned into an ice rink. Everybody was just slipping and sliding all over the place. Could not get your footing. I think even in that game, there were stories about how they were trying to change out cleats. You saw it on this one. The guys were having to change cleats because they were slipping and sliding all over the place. I don't know. Obviously, you know, for people that don't know it, that stadium out there in Glendale. The field is natural grass, and it sits on a great big tray that moves in and out of the stadium. And so they pull it out of the stadium, and it sits out in the sunlight so that the grass and all can grow. But it's still on a big tray that then they slide into the stadium to play. And I don't know if that causes condensation or the the fill that is up under the grass. I don't know the tech the technical aspects of why, but that playing surface is absolute garbage and it was complete garbage yeah. last night in the Super Bowl as well. So piggybacking off of that, I don't pretend to know everything with ground maintenance and 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 all that. So I I don't I can't tell you what they should have done, what they shouldn't, you know, all that with the actual playing surface. But what I can tell you is in the most important game of the season, in a game that gets mentioned in other sports to describe teams' games, you cannot have that product altered or jeopardized in any way. And I'm not saying I am very thankful on this aspect of it that there was not a slip that felt like it cost someone a game. Because that was in play last night. Oh, yeah. That was absolutely could have happened at the end of that game where someone could have fallen down. 
and, and cost the team a game. It could have happened. It didn't. We had our own other controversy. And y'all probably thought that was going to be my worst of the weekend. But I've done that a million times with referees, and I'm tired of it. So I'm not doing referees for a while on worst of the weekend. But you have this great event that 100 million people watch. And it's not – look, there's other great aspects to it. They market it very well. Okay, great commercials, great anthem. They always have great performances at halftime. Okay, it's it's a cultural event. It's so big. But what started it wasn't a TV commercial. It was not a concert. It was not an anthem. The game is why this event became so big. It's centered around a football game. And so you have to protect that product – at all costs. And look, the league loves going to warm places. It loves going to big cities. It loves going to places that it can put on the event. And I get that. And there's plenty of places to do that. But over and over again, and particularly in Arizona, you cannot get the playing surface right. And that can't... Imagine if that happened in basketball. If players were sliding down, hurting hamstrings and traveling and all this constantly in basketball, that would be a huge deal. And it happens in football a little more than all the other sports do, the outdoor nature of it. But you can't jeopardize the playing surface of which the game is played on. (laughs) It is one of the most fundamental things here. So I'm not saying permanently ban it from Arizona, but I need a damn good bit of confidence the next time you go to Arizona that that field's going to be okay because as you mentioned Tom it happened in the Auburn game there in the national championship it's happened in a Super Bowl there in the past where footing was not an issue that was brought up Cardinals regular season games that is a perennial place of misfortune for (laughs) cleats and slipping and so that again it did not happen last night it did not actually kill the quality of play or make any sort of controversy although i'll tell you i watched a lot of defensive ends slip and there was no sacks last night other than jalen hurts running out of bounds for negative half a yard that was the only sack of the night but thank god someone did not slip in a very important play and potentially cost someone the game so that was my worst of the weekend yeah i think the nfl has kind of a playing surface problem right now because I think every I think every athlete will tell you they would rather play on natural grass than turf, and that doesn't just apply to football. But I think in every sport that has grass that you play on, I think every athlete would rather play on natural grass than just turf. Um, because you, we saw so much controversy this year of man, this turf. There's so many injuries happening. There's so many non-contact injuries happening in the NFL this year, and, and people are playing, blaming it on the playing surface. Also, another thing that got announced during the football season, when North America hosts the World Cup here in four years, every venue that the World Cup is being played in is going to have to replace their turf with natural grass. F- FIFA will not allow the World Cup to be played on turf because turf is declared unsafe by, by, by most industries. But... The fact that the grass that Arizona has is such a talking point, and it has been for so long. And I mean, we, we've we mentioned, I, <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, I remember I was rewatching the uh, the national championship game because it was just on, and uh, a young man by the name of Chris Davis was on Auburn's uh, kick coverage team. First play of the game, he gets hurt. He he slips. He slips on that grass, and that was kind of the first instance of 
in in my view, I guess, uh, of seeing that. And it, it was it, it, the grass in Arizona is bad. I, you, I, I think natural grass is a better playing surface, but the grass there is bad, and they've got to fix it. This is an NFL organization we're talking about. This is a billion dollar industry. You shouldn't have field issues, and your field is becoming an issue. And I like how you equated it to other sports. Like, what if the basketball court was squishy? And guys couldn't get solid footing on it, and their toes kept getting tripped up. What if they were playing on a wrestling mat and their feet kept sinking into it? You know, how much worse would that make the game? You've got to figure out the playing surface before you do anything else going forward in Arizona. All right, everyone's best of the weekend here. Just a couple minutes left in the show. Chris Stapleton's national anthem. That was fantastic. I'm I'm not a big like oh man the national anthem was so cool. I'm not a big not big on that, but that that was pretty good. That was pretty good as someone who who does enjoy Chris Stapleton. And, and and I think also was it Sirianni that they showed that was crying? crying? Yeah. That that was powerful. That was powerful when they showed him with the tears streaming on his face. Was, so not only was it good, but then to see the dude sitting there with the tears streaming, I was like, Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. My my best of the weekend is going to be the negative COVID test that I got at nine thirty last night. Heck yeah. Welcome back, sir. I'm glad you're feeling healthy. Oh, so glad to be back. Uh, so my best of the weekend, I will go uh, Auburn Gymnastics. Uh, Big-time event in Neville Arena uh, on Friday night. And and really, I could just say the atmosphere in Auburn, Alabama throughout the whole weekend. It felt like such an event in Auburn between game day coming, uh, the, between the reporting. Uh, I know Holly Rowe was involved with the Friday night uh, broadcast with Auburn Gymnastics. Obviously, the intention around SUNY Lee, Olivia Dunn of LSU. Uh, Auburn uh, able to have a successful meet is one thing, but just the great uh, environment that Auburn produced both Friday night for the gymnastics meet uh, and the Saturday game, obviously, for Alabama. And just important to see Auburn being recognized and being able to show that despite football being the head honcho, there's other things that mean a lot to this community, to Auburn University, to its athletic teams. And so I was just really thrilled with all the tents set out there, showing showing Top Gun Maverick at 10.30 p.m. with everyone camping out. There's just That's a cool college environment that's something beyond football. Uh, and although we love football, we love everything uh, about it, there's other great things things about the athletics programs and about the campus and school too and, and i thought it was just a great weekend and environment for all what, what didn't you hear uh, you know lsu coming in town that was auburn gymnastics super, super bowl. bowl oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was great yeah anyway well, auburn won that super bowl i guess yeah uh last few seconds of the show today time for a nightly tv guide our show is about to end but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening here's sports calls nightly tv guide Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. 6 o'clock on ESPN, number 15 Miami. Goes to the Dean Smith Center to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. 6 o'clock women's college basketball on ESPN2, number 17 Texas, soon to be in the SEC, versus number 22 Iowa State. U-17 Soccer, Trinidad and Tobago versus the United States of America, 650 on FS1. And a couple movie picks, Hunger Games Catching Fire, 6 o'clock on AMC. I remember when I went and saw that in the movie theaters. And Despicable Me 2 on Sci-Fi at the irrational start time of 714 because (laughs) 7 or 730 or heck, even 715 just would not suffice. That is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Tom, enjoyed you being here. Absolutely. Today, we will talk a lot more tomorrow. Absolutely. I'll be here. And, uh, Brant, welcome back, sir. Glad to have you back, and uh, we'll talk to you again later this week. Thank you for having me. And uh, we thank Kevin Ives 
uh, for joining the show today. And we thank all those who tuned in and called in as always. For Tom Peavy and Brant Dontry, my name is Ryan LeBoy. Have a great Monday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.